Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. We love Brady! We love you, Brady! watching this on Facebook right now, fucking share this stream right now. Right fucking now. Look at our Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 17th of July, year of our Lord, 2018. Welcome back. Yeah, I kind of took a break. Sorry. Didn't intend to. Uh, For an update on your humble podcaster, I am not employed. I was offered a cushy job with a lot of money, and the wife stepped in and said no. She wanted me to stay home. So I'm staying home uh, until... The turn of the year. So I will be podcasting more, hopefully. Uh, except for this one week break that I just took because of things <coughs> got in the way. But as you can hear in the beginning, not, you know, one week later, not much has changed. Still protesting, tearing shit up, being racist. I guess once again, the left can be racist. But we got a good show today. Got a couple reviews for a segment in the middle on some uh, shows and movies I saw. And um, let's just get into it. If someone ripped an Obama hat off a teenager's head, they'd be arrested for a hate crime and destroyed by the mainstream media forever. But when someone assaults a young man in a mega hat, liberals cheer the attacker. A new level of disgusting. That was tweeted by Jack Murphy, and he's dead on. And that goes back to our... Big guy who called a white kid a nigga. 
<laughs> with the A on the back. And, of course, he was a white kid, and he was 17, and he was a minor, and he's been charged with a felony. Yeah. 31, or excuse me, 30-year-old loser. Uh, so there is justice out there. It's local justice, because on the federal level, we don't have that. But it's not an anomaly. Your media just doesn't want to show you that. Man punched, dragged 30 feet by car for having a Trump flag in his yard. Yeah. Florida man. He was very old. Uh, he was watching a fireworks display from his driveway and <clears throat> somebody beat the shit out of him. But this is the Democrats thing. Here, meet Melissa Gariga, press secretary for Mississippi Dam State Representative Jeremy Anderson. He's a Democrat. Uh, and this is what she said. Maybe a country will invade us to implement regime change. Yeah, that, that's what she wants. Mm-hmm. Then there was another one, David Weissman. This is exactly why I'm talking about megas. Do not care about veterans. They only use us for talking points for Trump. Don Cheadle, you should see this tweet from Muslim Marine regarding how mega treats vets. Because now that's another line. He doesn't care about vets. I asked the question, what did Obama do for vets? Nothing's your answer? You're spot on. Amy Siskind. Seriously, Trump is about to nominate an extremist who will likely overturn Roe and gay marriage and affirmative action and health care. And Senator Schumer's strategy is to write an op-ed in the New York Times and ask for Merrick Garland. You have to fight for us. No vote. Till midterms probe. Cheryl Ackerson. A year and a half in and Donald Trump really needs to get busy if he's going to do all the things critics swore he'd do. Start nuke war, ship out Muslim Americans, round up illegal immigrants on trains, marginalize blacks, Jews, tank, stock, market, destroy climate, time's a-wasting. And, and that's what we're going to hear a lot of today. I'm going to play you a montage and initially of, you know, what they thought. Oh, my God. We kind of went, you know, eight days ago, nine days ago. <clears throat> with the females or pieces of chicks, he thought he was going to go with the female, and then of course it was announced, and then of course they trashed. Today I will not be doing the Russia summit. I'm going to say that for next podcast, which will be Monday, or excuse me, uh, Friday. And uh, yeah, it's it's like end of days for them. But as I was looking for this little intro segment, I, I found this stuff. Did Trump administration set a coded signal to neo-Nazis? Maybe not, but is that reassuring? That was actually from uh, Vox. Did a February press release contain dog whistles? These people are so obsessed. They were breaking down 14 words and consists of 14 words and phrasing and striking similar to the 14 words of the neo-Nazi movement semi-official slogan. Yeah, number 88, H is the eighth letter of the alphabet, and therefore 88 becomes HH, which stands for Heil Hitler. I mean, these people seriously have serious delusions. Everything is Nazi. Everything is Russia. Really feel for them. But the Association, Associated Press, Trump remarks that immigration is changing the culture of Europe draws parallel to white nationalist rhetoric. A few seconds, I'm going to tell you how the culture's there. But I want you to see that the media and Hollywood are part of it. Actress Demi Moore, 
I don't want Trump supporters for fans. First of all, I hate Trump. It's awful country with disgusting people and everything. About it, I'll boycott everything about Trump. That's, that's what she said. Then Ashley Judd said, Trump supporters are hurting my career. If this continues, I'm going to move from this awful country. And then a Hillary Flack literally doxed a Richmond, uh, Richmond bookstore because Bannon was cited in there. And he literally sent out black swan books, don't shop there, numbers, the whole nine yards. A woman saw Steve Bannon in, in a Virginia bookstore. She took the opportunity to call him a piece of trash. Nick Cooks, the owner of Black Swan Books, called the police. Here's her address. Do bad things to him. It's it's coming. Molly Jong Fast, a blue check. Hey, Trump team. May I suggest you guys stay out of bookstores and Mexican restaurants. You can go into all the Chick-fil-A's you want, though, and also I'm pretty sure Hobby Lobby is safe for Trumpers because they're Christian. Remember, Christians are bad. Shannon Bream then brings us to the pinnacle of this week. Very few times I felt threatened while out in the field. The mood here tonight is very volatile. Law enforcement appears to be closing down First Street in front of SCOTUS. Literally had to ha bail on our live show from SCOTUS. Moving the show back to the safety of the studio. Studio, see y'all 11 p.m. And here's what it sounded like. You know, last year when Gorsuch was picked, you and I were supposed to be doing our interview on the court, <laughs> steps of the court tonight. It was rowdy a little out there at the court tonight. Loud out there. Uh, you know, when Gorsuch was picked last year, I went over to just engage some of the protesters. I was at the White House tonight for the president's pick, and a year ago, the president had me over when he selected Gorsuch. We came back, and I was headed to my office, and I thought I'll go outside and see who these protesters are. And uh, they had all these Mad Lib signs. They had signs that were made up, and they had Even sharpies to right. fill in the name of who the person was who was supposedly going to end the world. This isn't the apocalypse. This is a chance to teach our kids basic civics and to celebrate checks and balances. So I think what happens next is sadly going to be an attempt to bork a guy. Um, this 30 years ago, or 31 years ago in the summer of 87, uh, this seat, which Kennedy's held for 30 years, was the Bork seat. And when Bork wasn't given a fair hearing and when he wasn't confirmed, he went out and wrote a book the next year called The Tempting of America, which is about the politicization of everything. We're not supposed to have judges who think of themselves as super legislators. Protesting on the steps of the Supreme Court tells you that our system is breaking down in terms of basic civics, protest at the White House, protest at the Congress, because those are places where people are supposed to be responsive to politics. Judges are not supposed to be responsive to politics. I think we're going to see a big attempt at borking coming next. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And as you said, last year, there were certainly protesters out there, and there was definitely opposition to Justice Gorsuch upon his name being announced that night. Tonight, we saw something different. We did have a plan to have our show out there live. It got so volatile at points that we, we ultimately didn't feel like it would be safe to do an hour of live television out there that's unbelievable but it is totally believable that people like terry moran from abc a couple cnn talking heads they said she's full of shit it wasn't that bad well that, that's because you're liberal media you morons but trump's comment and the anger that we're seeing you know folks it's based their, 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 their hate is so political. They don't want to see facts. Here's some facts. Germany, migrant decapitates baby. Government tries to cover it up. 
picture that I got from uh, the Daily Mail. Our government told us that we need mass immigration. Our government told us that diversity makes us stronger. Our government told us it was Islamophobic to complain. Our government said we should conform to their culture. Our government hates us. And a dozen women with their faces bashed in. Remember, there are parts of London you can't even go in anymore due to the rapes and attacks of white, round-eyed women. Then in America, as our media keeps pushing the wall, stupid, you're Islamophobic, you're xenophobic, you're a piece of shit, illegal immigrant beheads 13-year-old in Alabama, media blacks it out. Two men, Yoni Martinez Aguilera and Israel Gonzalez Palomino, are being held in Manatee County, Alabama jail, charges of capital murder. Oh, that's just what... No, CNN, illegal alien deported 11 times, attacks woman with fucking chainsaw. The saddest part, we've already talked about this dick on the show. At that time, he'd been deported 10 times. He was drunk, and he smashed into people. Now he's gone to chainsaw attacks, because he lives in a state that just lets him come back in. California. Yeah. Wow. We don't want to talk about that, though, do we? We we don't want to talk about that. And then CNN doxes somebody who did a video about the 2016 election. The person responded, I find the statement is disingenuous, CNN. No one from the administration reached out about using the video, he said. I know problems Trump using my video. None at all. This implies that I do. Full article below. And he rebutted him. Because it was a dual thing. He used somebody's documentary video. He wasn't supposed to because he's Trump. And this person is bad because they made this documentary video, video that's bad to Democrats. So we're still doxing, attacking, fucking illegals are killing fucking people. And the left keeps marching towards Armageddon politically. So let's fire for effect. Before you go, I want your reaction to how... Some that oppose the policy, oppose Republican lawmakers on this front, are choosing to deal with it. The Washington Post is reporting that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was followed to his car on Saturday by a group of protesters chanting at him, screaming at him, abolish ICE, and some other just personally demeaning things. Let's play this. Vote you out! Vote you out! Abolish ICE! So they yelled, vote you out, abolish ICE. Someone else called him a, quote, turtle head, uh, following him to his car. Is this the best way for Democrats to get their message across? Is this productive? Look, I think that people are deeply angry about the fact that kids are in cages and parents have been separated from their families. And I think that people, you know, to me, vote you out is uh, it's not what I'm chanting at Mitch McConnell, but mm -hmm. if people want to say that somebody should be voted out because they are doing things that undermine America's core democracy, that to me is a, a part of democracy. If you really want to take on people who are saying terrible things, I think we should take on the President of the United States who has said some 
absolutely horrible, demeaning things to all kinds of people. Do I think that at the core we are talking about American democracy and about making sure that families can stay together, about making sure that the United States remains a place that we are proud of for upholding human rights, a leader in the global fight for justice. Those are the kinds of things that I am focused on, and I think that we should keep the focus where it should be, which is on the fact that the Trump administration and Donald Trump himself put into place a policy that has gone completely out of control, that his administration cannot even meet a court order that says that these families should be put together, that these kids should not be put into detention. Over 3,000 children who have been detained and separated from their families as young as six months old. That is an outrage on U.S. soil. I think that's where the attention should be. So we see that the, it's building. This whole thing is building. And where do they get it? Well, they get it from the media. New York Times opinion piece on possible Roe Wade reversal deserves bipartisan eye rolls. Opinion. Roe bashing is a powerful source of solidarity for Republicans. Its absence would deprive Republican politicians and Fox News of the issue that stands at the ready to roil the political pot. Did, did you hear that? Not Planned Parenthood and women's right to choose what roils the pot and then women's marches. But they don't stop there. Democrats do not surrender the judiciary. This goes to the New York Times again. This is all the more reason for Democrats and progressives to take a page from the Godfather and go to the mattress. See, they're, they're spiking up that midterm. They want Democrats in power. Stephen Miller, if there are any questions whether there's any difference between left, difference left between the major newspapers and the lefty blogs, <clears throat> compare the opinion pieces in today's Washington Post to yesterday's piece in Vox, making the case for packing the Supreme Court by adding a few progressive judges, an idea tried by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now David Ferris, author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, is arguing that court packing is the only way to save democracy. Yeah, that's the Washington Post. I'll read the end. Should Democrats gain unified control of government in 2021? They ought to consider this more complete story of court packing. Before contemplating such unprecedented action, Democrats should offer Republicans a truce in the the decades-long judicial wars. The illegitimate Neil George resigns, and both parties support a constitutional amendment eliminating lifetime tenure on the Supreme Court, capping services 18 years so we can get more lefties in it. Ezra Klein, this is the far left. It's quote, going to be quite a visual when five men overturn Roe. As good a visual as seven men decided it, somebody asked. His next one, Supreme Court has always been undemocratic. What it's, it's becoming is something more dangerous. Anti-democratic. And oh, by the way, handmaids were out there. Yeah, we got handmaids. This was so disingenuous about the court's pick. The Women's March put out a statement. This is how it read, and, and this isn't the only one, we'll see. In response to Donald Trump's nomination of XX to the Supreme Court of the United States, the Women's March released the following statement, XX. That was for the name to be inserted. David French got my first activist email opposing Kavanaugh, because they thought it was going to be a woman, but it wasn't. 
from Democracy for America. Spot the fine, replace problem. SCOTUS DFA will fight Kavanaugh, says she represents a generational assault on justice, freedom, core democratic values. They had it, or it didn't matter who he did. See, that's the point. Didn't matter who he nominated. They were ready to say that they were against American ideals, women, and fucking pandas. Yes, the next SCOTUS will rape pandas in a Walmart parking lot. That unbelievable irony in all this. Because it's supposed to be about the country, right? But listen to all these. Josh Whedon. Even considering this nomination will cement the first American dictatorship. Okay. Jerry McAuliffe, the nomination of Kavanaugh, will threaten the lives of millions of Americans. Oh, my God. It's threatening the lives. Shannon Watts. Shannon Watts, sorry. Kavanaugh has applied an, an extreme and dangerous interpretation of the Second Amendment when determining whether a law is constitutional, one that does not take into account a law impact on public safety. Dangerous. Planned Parenthood. Breaking Brett Kavanaugh's Trump's SCOTUS pick. It's time to get loud to save SCOTUS. Save it! Nayroll. Trump just announced anti-choice ideologue Kavanaugh's pick for Supreme Court and the fifth vote to overturn and gut Roe Wade. Criminalize abortion and punish women. Then women's magazines got in it. Yeah. Women's magazines aren't just for fashion and makeup anymore. No, they're also for abortion. On Monday, President Trump announced his pick. Glamour, writers from women's magazines from Glamour to Teen Vogue immediately produced stories warning about what the nominee could do to your abortion rights. Glamour's headline read, What Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination could mean for your abortion right. Inside, senior political reporter Celeste Katz. Oh, she's so senior. Yeah. I lost my place being a smart ass. Urge that Kennedy's departure raises a new question about the future of American abortion law. Team Vogue similarly places headline what Donald Trump's Supreme Court nomination could mean for abortion access. Contributing editor Lily Herman called Kennedy's retirement a move that pro-abortion activists and groups say could lead to severe restrictions on a woman's right to make her own reproductive choice and kill babies until the last day. Refinery29 writer uh, Andrea Gonzalez-Ramirez, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, led to abortion being illegal once again in the U.S. Yeah, it's going to be illegal. Totally illegal. And for comedy note, while they were doing all this, Planned Parenthood put out consent, freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, specific. Lizzie Lou Who said, for fuck's sake, must you kill everything? Because I didn't know what the fuck it meant. It was National Friday. So even on National Friday, we got a shit on stuff. Because we're anti-men, anti-white people, anti-everything. Linda Sassar, if you're an American woman and not fighting for the rights of women here in the United States, then your calls for human rights for women abroad are hollow. You're a hypocrite with an agenda. Somebody tweeted, a woman is in jail in Iran for dancing, and you're saying that. Yeah, of course they are. Start Dorkin, the NAACP went a different route. 
Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, well, we oppose this nomination, D.C. Circuit. His tenure on a bench was exactly as we predicted. His strong, consistent vote for wealthy and powerful. He must not be elevated to SCOTUS. Schumer, we're not voting this motherfucker in. Camille Harris, we're not voting this motherfucker in. I'm just, just surmising it. Gillibrand, Feinstein, two-thirds of Americans don't want women's access to reproductive health care restricted. President Trump's SCOTUS nominee could do just that by overturning Roe v. Wade and setting off at least 20 states' trigger laws restricting abortion. Save SCOTUS! What's at stake? Overturning Roe Wade would take us back to the days of women being severely injured and dying because they get basic, they can't get basic medical care, even though basic medical care does not include abortion. But okay, we've come so far to go back. Tammy C, a woman, bull hockey. It will make them actually use birth control prior to sexual relations instead of using abortion as birth control. And the ABC Nightline, before they even fucking knew on the eve, Tonight on Nightline, Terry Moran, oh, he's back. He said Bream's a liar. Ports on the controversial Supreme Court justice pick and possible implications for the country. Did you ever hear that when Obama picked Kagan, a uh, Uber lib, and that other one, Sotayamayoyar, a total Uber lib? We never heard about the implications of voting in two Democratic operative judges. They were operatives before they were judges, which should be a big red flag for normal Americans. For Christ's sake, NBC brought on 27 guests in 90 minutes and zero conservatives freaking out, and the rest followed suit, as you will hear. We know that if Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed, this will shift the balance of power on the Supreme Court for decades to come. Republicans control the majority. Is there anything you can do to stop this nomination? Why do you believe that abortion rights in this country are under threat? Based on the case you've just made about Brett Kavanaugh, would it be a betrayal of the party for any Democrat to support him in any way? I want to bring in our Supreme Court correspondent, Terry Moran. And Terry, that pedigree made Kavanaugh a favorite of the president's top advisors, including his White House counsel, Don McGahn. But this is not a slam dunk for confirmation. It's not, George. From a rowdy Supreme Court, a sign of the stakes that people sense in this moment. Brett Kavanaugh, as you say, is a classic Washington establishment candidate. He went to the same prep school that Neil Gorsuch did, Yale College, Yale Law School, all those posts uh, in the government. But he fought in the trenches with conservatives against Clinton uh, on the Florida recount for the Bush White House in staffing the courts. They love him. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the battle lines are drawn. And his opinions in particular, uh, perhaps on uh, the collection of surveillance information on U.S. citizens and others, could lose him a Republican vote or two, which he can't afford. In general, though, this is seen as the smart play by President Trump, despite the fact that there's going to be a battle royale in the Senate. On both sides, not a vote to... Kavanaugh, not surprising, and, and someone who, as Pete and I were, Pete was saying, this is a guy who cut his teeth in the Star Report, co wrote right. the Star Report, right. has moved in conservative right wing legal circles for the entirety of his career, it was largely seen as someone like Neil Gorsuch mm -hmm. who would be in this position. You know, my reaction, uh, twofold. One, I'm not surprised that always seemed like this was the most Gorsuch like. Uh, the most Gorsuch-like pick of the bunch. And by that I mean someone who had punched all the tickets, uh, all the sort of elite credentials, and who had also spent his life in conservative right-wing legal circles in which people can be sure they're not going to get a suitor. 
Julius Caesar wrote that Gaul was divided into three parts. Well, so is the government of the United States. And one of those three parts is to be decided tonight when President Trump declares his pick for the decisive fifth seat in the Supreme Court. It will be a political appointment, even more than the Supreme Court, and who sits on it often is. Never forget who decided the year 2000 election for president, or decided in the Citizens United case and the role of money in every U.S. election. For Trump, this pick is a chance to middle, to use a street corner political term, those Democrats from states that are strong for him and force them to choose between representing the Democratic Party in Washington or representing their voters back home, voting the way New York's Chuck Schumer wants him or her to vote or the way most voting adults in, say, North Dakota or Indiana or West Virginia want them to vote. Good evening. I'm Chris Matthews in the nation's capital, where President Trump is just two hours away from announcing his Supreme Court pick. It's a choice that will almost certainly shift the balance of the court rightward and could have a wide-ranging impact on issues like abortion rights and gay rights. Justice Anthony Kennedy was often the decisive vote on the most contentious constitutional issues the court faced. Now President Trump seeks to fill his vacancy with a strong conservative who could serve 40 to 45 years, as Trump suggested. The former Apprentice host has spent the last week building the drama with all the flash of a primetime reality TV reveal. He wrote on Twitter this morning, I have long heard that the most important decision a U.S. president can make is the selection of the Supreme Court justice. will be announced tonight at 9 p.m. Oh, my God, it's the end of times. Stock up on water and canned food. The apocalypse is here. Papa protests, liberal meltdown, erupt after Trump picks Kavanaugh for SCOTUS. Problem is, Tim Young went to him, a selfie to show you just how few people are protesting SCOTUS right now. I'm sure the media angle makes it look like thousands. It might be 300. He showed a picture. There wasn't that many people there. CNN politics. They decided it's just not enough to doubt, bash white man pro-choice. Let's go after Catholics. Why do Catholics hold a strong majority on the Supreme Court? Analysis. Byron Wolf. Judicial nominees these days are low to answer how they'd vote on cases or how they feel generally about the issues, especially abortion, which is growing into a key issue for Kavanaugh nominations since he'll be replacing Kennedy, who was long viewed as a key swing vote protecting Roe v. Wade legal precedents. And public at large, 57% support legal abortion in 2017. Pew Research survey says it will be, should be legal in all or most cases. Catholics were less supportive, but still a majority, 53%, said it's time it should be legal. You know, the only people talking about that are liberals you could care less about everything you, you know every other issue all you care about is killing babies and somebody tweeted it's seriously like all the left cares about the only issue that matters is abortion which is actually funny in a way because many people who are pro-life aren't religious anyway imagine the noise the left would make if someone wrote a piece like this about islam and they're right. They're right. What is wrong with you people? I heard all sorts of anti-Catholic shit. Even a local, they're Catholic. Like, that's bad. But if you can't say it about Muslim, why can't you say it about Catholics? So, more to follow on this shit, because it's going to continue. Quick hit on a Casio. Casio. I had a soundbite, I'm not going to play it, but she literally says Israel is occupying Palestine. That's a side issue from her crazy, which is like the New Republic. Can Alexandria 
Ocasio-Cortex, if you got I have a name, you're a douchebag, save the planet. And then she decides to take a political morning, morning consult poll and ignore the fact that Americans aren't for abolishing ICE. This is what she said. Skip the headline. Read the report. A full 43% of Democrat voters already support abolish ICE. Another 23 are undecided. This is huge for a new policy proposal. Only 34% of Dem voters support ICE. The electorate supports a strong progressive message. That's what she's trying to say. But 54% of Americans think that you should keep ICE. But, you know, hey, it's just about the Democrats. Because they're the majority, remember? They're the majority. Nobody else is. Uh, while this is going on, I caught in here, Salon, Russian bots are back. Walk away attack on Democrats is a likely Kremlin operation. That's what they believe now. That That's what they believe. Are you fucking serious? Wow, you're fucking chewed up. Funny how every time a hashtag trends is not favorable for the left, it's automatically more Russian bots. Good grief, get a hold of yourselves. The Kremlin hysteria is insufferable. Ever think maybe it's Dems batshit insane extremism that's driving people to walk away? That's a good question there, Buck in Tennessee. You're spot on. Because everything's Russian when it's not on our side. So that wraps up our our uh, fire for effect. Don't worry, I got Zorkin here. I put it in the hypocrisy, though, because some of the stuff that was said was so fucking extreme, and the media... Never said a fucking word, including Dems cheering. What the fuck, Chuck? Let's do our tweets of the day. Onion starts us off. Police investigate report of local gay man being dragged behind boat from the Onion, Norway, North Carolina. Law enforcement officials investigate a disturbing Sunday afternoon following disturbance. Excuse me, Sunday afternoon after following reports of a screaming gay man being dragged across a lake behind a boat. We received multiple accounts of two male suspects forcefully pulling a young gay man behind their motorboat at high speed, said Sergeant Michael Bosch of the Northwood Police Department, who noted that the people on shore observed the gay man frantically waving and shouting the entire time he was yanked through the water by a 75-foot length of rope. Robert Davis. That would be funny if gay guys hadn't been dragged to the desk behind trucks. Maybe if the guy in this picture was black, you'd have, a, have to thought twice, think before satricizing. Allie McLean, not only sure how to react, sort of taken back. But then a gay guy comes in, some of y'all need to chill, I'm gay, and that doesn't offend me at all. It's obviously wasn't meant to be insensitive or anything. Here's the problem, when I searched for gay men being tr- tr- dragged by a truck, Google produced nothing other than Matthew Shepard's. And I would tell you all, on the left... Anybody out there who listens to this show to get angry while you're working out because I'm a fucking moon bat to you. Go to theguardian.com and search the truth behind America's most famous gay hate murder. Remember, we covered it on the show. He was killed over drugs, not because he was gay. 
It's no different than the army gay killing with the baseball bat. Everybody was gay in that event. But of course it doesn't get put out that way. So basically we go into this crazy freak zone where a joke by the onion, which is doing a satire of how the media makes everything so horrible for gays, which isn't true. It's lies. And basically here we are. In a world where we hate half people because they're not gay. Or all the people that aren't gay. Seems to be where the media is. But our tweet of the day is Sarah Sanders. Actually, a CNN reporter disrespected POTUS and PM May during the press conference. Instead of rewarding bad behavior, we decided to reprioritize the TV appearance for administrative officials. And this comes from a Jake Tapper tweet that Bolton was yanked from CNN because they went batshit crazy because they wouldn't talk to that fucking cock-sucking piece of shit Acosta. And I thought that was fucking fantastic. Good for the administration. Punish CNN. Start doing interviews with Home and Garden and fucking Nickelodeon. They have higher ratings. Well, the reality is this. Donald Trump talks like a racist. Thanks like hey, a racist. Hey, of the day! Uh, conjures uh, emotions that uh, give sucker and support to white supremacists and white nationalists. Yeah, he's a racist because racism is as racism does. So this, this attempt to avoid it, and here's the problem. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's not the white supremacists who are the problem. It's white moderates and uh, conservatives who tend to be complicit with that by trying to dismiss it. Uh, Brother Jennings, much respect for you, but this is ludicrous. What you're doing is even more egregious because you're attempting to justify, legitimate, and make valid what are essentially naked, raw statements of racism. Mm -hmm. This is easy stuff. Oh, this is this let, is let very clear stop, stop. that it has racial animus here, and you're trying to dismiss it as a difference of opinion. Go that ahead. is itself complicitous in the racist element we're talking about. Go ahead, Scott. He has emboldened white supremacists to come forward. The resurgent bigotry of America has been catalyzed by this president who stands in his bully pulpit to bully people who don't agree with him. And and I think it is ridiculous here for Brother Scott to come on this these airwaves and not acknowledge what is clear and plain before us, that a man making inflammatory remarks is not something just to be disagreed with. You should find them abhorrent. You should find them, uh, you should repudiate them and find them a cause for you to distance yourself from a man who could call Mexicans rapists. You, you give it them all the time. I mean, you're giving, you're giving airspace to a guy and oxygen to a guy who is trying to legitimate and validate no, racism. He is far worse than it, even Michael. what the president is. Hold on, Michael. You'll get your turn. Go ahead, All right. Scott. All right. So earlier today, against the advice of everybody here with me in London, well, we hit the streets and we were asking all these protesters to tell us exactly, specifically, what they don't like about President Trump. Well, you can't make this up. Take a look. Why are you here today? Uh, I'm here to, uh, to protest. What specifically don't you like about Trump? I don't like his policies. What policy? All of them tell Trump to go home. He's not welcome here. We don't want him in the UK. We hope that he um, takes this seriously. But of course he won't. We'll just ignore it and pretend it hasn't happened. La, la, la. This seems like a party. It doesn't seem too serious. No, no everyone's just here for a good time, just to spread his message of love. Don't you love America? Um, We're not going to engage in anything. Got it. Please make your way. Got it. Yeah, we disagree a lot. We're very welcome to be here. Thank you. And I saw some people giving you trouble. There's no need for that. I think America is divided, like Britain. I think part of America is deeply, deeply ashamed, and I think part of America has been hoodwinked. Do you think 
that the NATO alliance that the United States of America is a fair if they pay 70% of the bill? What are you protesting? Are you here to just you're just here to have a party, be honest. I can't believe this is tune, man. I'm here because of all the hate that Trump hate exudes. Yeah. I wasn't gonna come out initially just because Trump's a And why are you here? Um to protest against the Trump administration and everything. And what about them? I'm I'm okay not being interviewed. It's a nightmare. He must be stopped. America, wake up! Vote him out. It's been hot this summer for a reason, you know what I mean? Is it Donald Trump's fault it's hot? No, but I think he's promoting he's promoting climate change. Donald is not welcome and free Melania. Yeah! I detest Trump. Uh, because of his policies, because of his racism and homophobia and misogyny, and because he's just two-faced and duplicitous. We respect human rights in this country, and we'd like him to see that um, the way that he acts and the way that he speaks, we profoundly, profoundly reject it, in a polite way. The lies that he's told, um, not to mention the human rights abuses that he's committed in his own country, we don't think he has any place in, over here. I think a lot of British people are more intelligent than the Americans are when it comes to voting. I am I'm, I'm quite angry. Even though I don't look angry, I am quite angry. Because what I think, I think that he represents everything that's toxic about Western culture and Western history. And I'm furious. All right. Um, they didn't really have good reason, but it was kind of a good party. Couple of, I was shocked at how many people knew me. Here with reaction, uh, the author of the book, Why We Fight, Fox News National Security Strategist, Dr. Sebastian Gorka, retired CIA, senior intelligence officer, Fox News contributor, Daniel Hoffman. Nobody wanted me to go down. We had one little minor little incident, but you can get it on tape, which drives me nuts. Um, but it wasn't that bad. I was shocked how many people knew me, but I was also, they can't answer. They just, like, I'm at, well, should we pay 70%? No. Why are you here protesting? Uh, he's a bad person. It, it's, it reminds you, every time America shows strength on the world stage, European socialist liberals hate it. If it was Obama apologizing or dumping $150 billion on the Mullahs, they'd love it. Very reminiscent to me of 1983 when Europeans came out in protest against President Reagan for the Pershing II missile deployment. And it's a great contrast. To, to protect... Europe. Right, and President Reagan was proven right years later. We all agreed it was the right thing to do. Of course, those protests could never happen in places like Russia and China, uh, but that's the first point. And the second one, we know the Russians have used their the social networking and media sites to try to amplify protests and hurt our president. I just wonder whether they might have done that in this case as well. I think that's something for our intelligence community to check on. Yeah, Dr. Gorka, your, your first reaction, we talked off air, you tell me that you think I'm nuts for even doing it, but what's your reaction? Yes. Um, they don't have a point, which, or no universal point, or nothing specific. Uh, it's getting hot in the world. Is that Trump's fault? Uh, no. Sure. Okay, why are you here? Sure. Um, I wouldn't have, I would have told you not to do it, but I'm glad you did. That was really very, very amusing and very telling. At least we now know that Donald Trump is responsible for global warming. I mean, look, th these people, <laughs> I, 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 I would like to see at least this many Brits go out and demonstrate against terrorism. 
Go out and demonstrate against the grooming and rape gangs that are being prosecuted. How about going out and, and demonstrating against female genital mutilation or the bombing of the Ariande Grande concert in Manchester? These are, look, we now have proof, Sean, snowflakes are everywhere. These are not the people who voted for Brexit. This is the chattering classes, and they have nothing to tell you. You know, the reality is that but for the United States of America and our commitment to Europe and NATO, I mean, I just, they don't survive. I mean, that, that is the stupidity. One of the, I think, best things the president did this week was tell Angela Merkel, stop giving, stop creating dependency on Putin and a hostile regime. Stop. And we've got more natural resources. We can put more Americans to work with career jobs tomorrow and export all the energy they would ever need in all of Western Europe. There's a bit of irony about all of this because Europe is under greater threat from Russia today than at any time since the collapse of the Soviet Union. And yes, the United States takes the lead in countering and deterring 70 Russia. plus cents of every dollar, Daniel. We pay for NATO 700 billion a year. And Germany doesn't pay their fair share. I mean, even beyond the, the financial aspects of this, it's really our, our moral leadership, our intelligence leadership, uh, the strategic leadership of the United States. Um, people aren't always grateful for that, but again, on the eve of the president's summit with Vladimir Putin, I find it awfully ironic. You know, the president said today everything's on the table with Vladimir Putin, um, and just like the lead-up to the Kim Jong-un summit in Singapore, oh, this is a bad idea, the president shouldn't do this. Dr. Gorka, I think it's good for the world if the president, we saw how direct he was with NATO, he's going to be the same way, he can't be any different. That's who he is. It will be an honest, forthright, frank discussion, just like it was with Little Rocket Man and Fire and Fury. Uh, you know the president, I know the president. And people always ask me, what's he really like? And, and the viewers need to understand, he's exactly the same behind closed doors as he is in front of 50,000 people in an arena in Florida. He is a straight shooter. And you know, when he closes that door and it's just him and the interpreters... He's going to say, look, what you did in the Ukraine is wrong. That it cannot stand. Stop messing around in Syria. We've already killed 200 of your mercenaries. And stop threatening NATO. He's going to be a straight shooter. But look, you know, Rod Rosenstein and everybody else wants to talk about Russian collusion. It's a fantasy. Mm -hmm. As we all know. Uh, Dr. Gorka, we wish you were here with us. Good to see you as my friend. Me too. And welcome uh, to London. Thank and you. we'll see you in Helsinki. That was Dyson freaking out on fucking New Day. You know, it's not good for him when New Day is asking him tough questions. And, of course, the London protesters. I rarely play anything for Sean Hannity, but he did interviews with people. And as you could tell, just like in America, half the time the protesters are just there because they want to partay. I don't know what they're protesting. But the media played this up. ABC 7 Eyewitness. Protesters have been given approval to fly the giant Trump baby blimp over London. And it's not big at all. It's teeny. And it's very teeny, childish, and stupid. And it came from America. So you fucking people, shut the fuck up. If there was a blimp of Obama, we would have burning of cities. Black Lives Matter and fucking Sharpton, Dyson would be out there how America's racist. 
Hell, you couldn't even burn an Obama dummy in effigy during his time, and Bush was burned every day on CNN, for Christ's sake. Alyssa Milano then comes into our hate tweets. This is disgraceful. Real Donald Trump. She's the queen, and she's 92 years old. You're incapable of acting like a human being. You're incapable of being a leader. This was all because he walked in front of the queen who told him to walk. Yeah. People tweeted back to her. She gestured to him to go first to review the guard. He hesitated. They went to... When is she instructed? Then he walks slowly to stay her pace, walking as I do with a 90-year-old. I can relate to it. They they did everything. He didn't bow. He didn't do this. No, he didn't bow. We don't bow. He's a fucking POTUS. And why would he bow if his supporters hated your president bowing to everybody? There are pictures of Obama bowing to janitors, for Christ's sake. Not really, but sounds good. Kimmel writers dragged for claiming Federalist Society a bigger threat than MS-13. Best called. Federalist Society is currently a bigger threat to the basic safety of America than MS-13. I tweeted back to her, the resistance is a bigger threat to Americans than MS-13. It was liked a billion times. The New Yorker, ultimately the conservative takeover of America courts hinged on ruthless power politics. The GOP exploitation is unearned advantage in the Electoral College, the U.S. Senate, and the Supreme Court itself. So the New Yorker is basically saying conservatives don't deserve to have any power in this country. I would actually put that in hypocrisy, but who reads the New Yorker? It's just hate. Chris Saliza, you believe Trump makes decisions based on image and appearance, and he does. Then here's the next Supreme Court justice, because she was a hot chick. I, of course, and a million people. For the millionth time, we never take sides. He then said Donald Trump's remarkably predictable and practical Supreme Court pick. Well, how can it be both, Chris? I saw him doing some midnight burning because he probably had an article about the slut. She would become a slut or skank or whore or something. Hillary Flack, Neil Katayal, Kavanaugh's credentials, hardworking nature, and much more. It would be such a different confirmation process if for a different seat, like Justice Thomas, or if he was nominated by a different president, like any of them who weren't subject of criminal investigations and multiple suits, which triggers Hillary flunky Brian Fallon in a big way. Even when Neil isn't officially endorsing GOP judges, he can't resist kissing up to them. We already know the answer to these questions. Tim Kaine, stop playing political games. Brian Fallon went down to anybody that said, well, okay, this guy isn't that bad. And said, toe the party line. But the best part of this, and why I brought it here, is my hate of the left for them weaponizing the internet. Alright, they weaponize the internet. Can't go to Google and do searches for anything anti-democratic. Can't do shit with your Apple phone. Took me eight years to shut off Google shoving me WAPO articles, Trump's devil. Facebook censors, Twitter censors, anybody with another opinion. When you brought, when you thought you're going to be press secretary, but now you're just, um, you just moderate a website. That's what Stephen Miller tweeted. And I was like, what? Yeah. They already have stopkavanaugh.com. It's a, it's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. So we go to 
Paul Saka, yesterday the media attacked Brett Kavanaugh for checks, notes, liking beer, being named Brett, and buying baseball tickets for him and his friends on a credit card and paying it off. I can't wait to see today's damning news that Brett Kavanaugh likes hamburgers. And The Onion took it a step further. Kavanaugh nomination falters after Washington Post publishes shocking editorial claiming he forgot daughter's piano recital. And they broke it down. It's satire. But it sums up what you're about to hear in the hypocrisy section. It, they were just in the days. In the days. This one brings in the hate towards everything's Trump's fault. Cher and other blue checks are blaming Trump after a black woman allegedly beats a 91-year-old man with a brick and told him to go back to Mexico. HuffPo did it. Los Angeles police were looking for multiple suspects in the attack in which the man was allegedly beat with a brick and told, go back to your country. They even post a picture that it's a black woman. Then, Los Angeles Sheriff Department, seeing that the, the fucking resistance is going to burn the city down, Suspect LaQuisha Jones, female, black, 30 years old, and was a resident of Los Angeles, booked for assault with a deadly weapon. But did they care? No. Share. 91-year-old man beaten with brick, told go back to Mexico. CNN, this is the face of Trump's America. He made it acceptable to beat innocent Latino man with bricks. It's safe to go walking in America. If you're not white, you take your life in your hands. That was from Apple News. That's what she got the article. Representative Pramala Japila, these are the real and tragic consequences of Trump's violent racist rhetoric. Keith Delvin, Donald Trump has been urging his supporters to rough him up. Samran Jeet Singh, women get beats of 91-year-old Mexican man with a brick shouting, go back to your country. Anti-Hispanic and anti-Latino hate, hate crimes up 50% this year. Trump's words of police demonizing immigrants and fuels xenophobic America. This is America. Her stats are false. That's not true. Brian uh, Francis Baran IV, I'm absolutely incensed and appalled by this woman who beat a 91-year-old Mexican man with a brick. Outrageously horrible. I feel so sorry for this poor old man. This is what happens when a president spews hate, endorses bigotry, and empower brigands, and white supremacists. And that's when I go, what the fuck? What the fuck? How can that be so? I thought blacks hate Trump. African Americans hate Trump. So a black woman loses her shit on a fucking uh, Latino man and it's Trump's fault, really? But blacks didn't vote for him. Blacks don't think that way. You tell us all the time, blacks are with you, Democrats. They're all gay or transgender. Hate God. You can't have it both ways. Next hates Nikki Haley. Looking forward to speaking at the TPUSA High School Leadership Summit in July. Oh, the fucking moon bats attacked her. Just, I'll just sum it up. Go on, Satan army. Go on and destroy the world. That's what they actually said. Satan's army. Hmm. You fucking people suck. Let's take a music break and we're going to come back into our hypocrisy. It's going to be let off by Nikki Haley again. Uh, there's a bunch of hypocrisy in here, but we'll definitely get to the Zork. The Zork.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. I find myself wondering in 20 years when we look back, will we think this was an emergency? Why didn't we step up as an emergency? Now, many of us do call us, right? There's a crisis of credibility with the White House. There's also a crisis of credibility for the press. We're clearly flawed, and I don't think we should pretend like we're not flawed and we don't make mistakes. But rather than hang on the mistakes and focus on the mistakes, few and far between, you know, there's this incredible amount of journalism being produced every day that's being dismissed by a segment of the population. And I, I take your point about the headlines about why people hate the media. There's always been that theme. There's always been an ability to dismiss unpleasant news. But it's been supercharged and liar and fueled now by, by the boss, by the, by the president. And that is clearly what's different and clearly what's a threat. I, I just, I think we have to ask ourselves, if this is an emergency, what should you, what should I, what should we be doing differently? If this is a crisis, well, um, I do want to start with you, though, J.D., based on where Americans stand on the issues and Americans have really moved in a much more progressive direction over the years. Do you think it's appropriate to continue to take such a, a strict originalist um, view of the Constitution, given it's it's that was Brian Seltzer. We talked about in the last podcast. But I had to play that. That's just coming from a major news network. This is an emergency. Why do you think people are getting hit, beat, attacked? Why do you think this is all happening? Why is our country so divisive? You, Brian Unreliable Seltzer. Who the fuck says that shit? Sean Hannity says shit like that. Fucking Rush Limbaugh says people like that. I mean, the normal people don't say that. Journalists, and I air quoted, don't say that. We start with Nikki Haley again. Tracy Jan, a member of, whatchamacallit, I'm sorry, not Tracy Jan, Jeff Stein, let me get this my head out of my ass, Jeff Stein, tweeted total lie about what she said, and it took Nikki Haley tweeting and him getting crushed by the anti-resistance for them to take it away, and it goes a little something like this, unfortunate when a reporter doesn't fall through and I have to do this. Jeff Stein, WAPO, I never said this. My team has asked you to retract this and take down your tweets. I am now respectfully asking that you follow through with what you told my team you would do. Thank you. Here's the story Haley was referring to, which now includes a correction. Correction, an early version of the story misattributes a statement to Nikki Haley, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, that no more than 250,000 Americans are in extreme poverty. The statement was made by the permanent mission of the United States to the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva. But as usual, 30,000, 40,000 fucking retweets. 
And a lie got out there. And he knew it was a lie. It took him two days to finally say, I've deleted earlier tweets indicating Haley said 250,000 Americans are in extreme poverty. The U.S. Permanent Mission United Nations International Organization of Geneva said this, not the United States government. But why did it take so long? Are you in the business of truth? Are you in the business of politics? Oh, it's WAPO. Why did I ask that question? It was rhetorical. 2018 NAACP conventions financed by... You got any guesses? ABC, CBS, NBC, Google, and CNN. NAACP conventions being financed by our media. Are you serious? Are you serious? An extreme organization that says everything's racist. Would you ever do the NRA convention? Or in my eyes, which is going to ruffle some feathers, a white supremacist group? Because NAACP is a black supremacist group. I don't care what you say. That's who they are. That's what they say. Them, SPLC, and all of them. They're not about truth. They're about fear-mongering and saying everybody who doesn't agree with us is racist or a white supremacist. That's usually what they're saying. Then there's this one, Carol Markowitz, journalist who spent eight years asking Obama what makes him so awesome. Now upset, Trump got a softball interview from Maria Bartomolo. Bartomolo, I can never say her name. Get back to me when she asked Trump, what has enchanted you? Like New York Times reporters asked Obama. And there's a list, Brian Seltzer, missed opportunities in Trump's chat with Bartomolo. But this article goes on. Oh, remember the 60 Minutes interview where Steve Croft started a question to Obama with, you have a lot of impressive accomplishments. But what Maria Bartramarolo, what's a softie? John Harwood is retweeting Shane at Bartramarolo, uh, Maria. I'm just saying, I can't say her name today. You, dude, really? Harwood asked Obama how he avoids being too cocky and was exposed by WikiLeaks for emailing Hillary campaign manager to find out what he should ask Jeb next. For all of you who forgot, this is the White House press corps in the last meeting with the dear leader, Barack Hussein Obama. Uh, that does not, of course, mean that I've enjoyed every story that you have filed, uh, but that's the point of this relationship. You're not supposed to be syncophants. You're supposed to be skeptics. You're supposed to ask me tough questions. LGBT rights, we've seen a lot of achievements over the past eight years, including signing hate crime protection legislation, don't ask, don't tell, repeal, marriage equality nationwide, and ensuring transgender people feel visible and accepted. How do you think LGBT rights will rank uh, in terms of uh, your accomplishments and your legacy? And how confident are you that progress will endure or continue under the president-elect? Thank you very much. You have said that you would come back to fight for the dreamers. You said that a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Are you fearful for the status of those dreamers, the future of the young immigrants and all immigrants in this country with a new administration? Thank you, Mr. President. I want to ask you about your conversations with the president-elect. Were you able to use that opportunity to convince him to take a fresh look at some of the important ideas that you will leave uh, this office with? Uh, maintaining some semblance of the Affordable Care Act, uh, some idea of keeping dreamers here in the country uh, without fear of deportation. Were you able to use personal stories to try to convince him, and how successful were you? Thank you, Mr. President. Um, long before today, you've been considered a right to press um, 
Under your watch, people have said that you have expanded the rubber band of inclusion, and with the election and the incoming administration, people are saying that rubber band has recoiled and maybe is even broken. And I'm taking back to a time when Air Force One going to Selma, Alabama, when you said your job was to close the gaps that remain. And with that, what gaps still remain when it comes to rights issues on the table? And also, what part will you play in fixing those gaps after, in your new life? Um, I appreciate the opportunity, and I want to wish you and your family best of luck in the future. Thank you. Um, Mr. Trump promised to move the embassy to Jerusalem. He appointed an ambassador that doesn't believe in a two-state solution. How worried are you are about the U.S. leadership in the Arab world and beyond as an honest broker? Will this ignite a third intifada? Will this even protect Israel? And in retrospect, do you think that you should have held Israel more accountable? Oh, the least I can do is give her the last question as President of the United States. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, there you go. Go ahead. Uh, well, thank you, Mr. President. It has been an honor. Thank you. And I have a personal question for you because I know how much you like this. Um, the First Lady put the stakes of the 2016 election in very personal terms mm -hmm. in a speech that resonated across the country. And she really spoke the concerns of a lot of women, LGBT folks, people of color, many others. And so I wonder now how you and the First Lady are talking to your daughters about the meaning of this election and how you interpret it for yourself and for them. I was sorely tempted to wear a tan suit today. <laughs> These people forget that normal Americans, we remember what you were like. You were in love with Obama. I remember looking at press briefs and people staring up at him and just going, oh, he's so beautiful. He speaks so well. But this thread went way beyond this. People are applying with more in, in, insane examples of the Obama years and the Hillary campaign. Obviously, this thread could go on for a while. Would love some introspection from the media people. They built this. <laughs> yeah, they, they built this. Tim Miller. Remember when Mitt Romney said there are some disconcerting signs about the London Olympics readiness and the media made made that a week-long scandal? Another one. Mitt is disconcerted. Gaff. Found the gaff list of Mitt's trip. Disconcerting signs. Called political Mr. Leader. Mentioned that a private briefing happened. Said the word backside. Said Anglo-Saxon. This would be the most on a message, most on message day of Trump presidency, which is fucking true. Another one. We warned the media about the backlash that would occur if they continue to cry wolf and smear good, honest people. They didn't listen. Now we have what they've always asked for. Never ending clickbait drama. Lay in this bed, media. Noah Pollock. This isn't quaint. The MSM behaves exactly today towards Republicans as it did back then, as the hysterical opposition party. How's that true? Peter Alexander. Federal judge agrees to delay next meeting about extending deadline to reunite 101 children under the age of five until Monday because Trump's administrative lawyer has a dog-sitting responsibility. Elise Foley from fucking Vox! If you're getting corrected by Vox, NBC, you are all sorts of fucked up. The judge was talking about having a meeting Monday well before the attorney said this. He asked whether they'd be out of town, and she said yes. So basically he just lied. He made it up just to dog Trump. It's a lie.
But it keeps happening. CNN politics. President Trump called journalists bad people at a rally week after a deadly newsroom shooting. They're still trying to pin a crazy guy who had a gripe with the newspaper on Trump. Brian Seltzer's one. The crooked press. They are so dishonest. Fake news. Bad people. People started tweeting back to him. I mean, are you a good person when if you choose to lie daily because in order to garner support for your political party? This is a very accurate description of the MSM. Imagine if the left-wing media were actually really journalists and reporters. They would be all over the Zork story. Obama FBI meddled in an election to stop Trump under Obama guidance. Holy crap, story of the century. Brian Seltzer seriously make it, makes it too easy. We get what he was trying to say here, that Pence should call for attacks by our political leaders on the media to stop, but he had to know by tweeting this, he was only setting himself for massive trolling, which they deserve. Then he did this one. Here's a fill-in-the-blank opportunity. Attacks on blank by our political leadership must stop. People tweeted, how about our Republican congressman? Because someone tried to run over Representative Lee Zeldin's campaign staffer yesterday, and you haven't said a word about it. Shocker. How about attacks on normal people by Democrats must stop? It would indeed be nice if Democrats would stop trying to physically harm people. Attacks on opponents and their supporters by political leaders must stop. Also paired with clean the press pool of biased idiots. Then he went on the fucking air to talk some more about it. Fox and Trump, Trump and Fox, you know they're close. But do you realize just how close? This kind of relationship has never existed between a U.S. president and a TV network. It is unprecedented. It's sort of a love story, so let me count the ways. Ah, yes, Sean Hannity. He defends Trump, bashes the media, turns a blind eye to Trump world scandals, and gives his guests free reign to call for the jailing of Trump's opponents. And that's just on the air. When Hannity's off the air, he gossips with Trump and gives advice about who to hire. So let's just underscore how weird this is. No TV host has ever had this kind of relationship with a U.S. president before. And to take it a step further, no network has ever propped up a president quite like this before. Sure, Obama had big fans on MSNBC, but there wasn't this kind of constant coordination. No one ever thought Keith Olbermann was Obama's shadow chief of staff, but that's how some Trump advisors describe Hannity. This is new, and it's weird, and we shouldn't get used to it. There's been almost a merger between a culture war TV station and a culture war president. And that was the network's news side doing it, not the opinion side. Fox does have reporters who try their best, but the network is defined by its cheerleaders, like Jesse Waters, who dined with Trump at the White House earlier this year and got an autograph, or his co-host on The Five, Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is dating the newly divorced Donald Trump Jr. Look, they, they seem to be a cute couple, and I love a good love story. But doesn't this radically affect her day job? How can any of her colleagues criticize Trump when the president's son's girlfriend is sitting right there at the table? Doesn't this complicate the entire network's coverage of the Trump family? I've got to ask. These people are fucking hypocrites. If you do some research to see the intertwining between the media and the Obama administration, you'd puke coat hangers. Everybody was linked. For Christ's sake, Chuck Todd's wife threw birthday parties for Hillary's fucking campaign manager. 
and you say Fox and Trump are too linked? MSNBC and NBC roll out every Obama initiative before he even said it. They did specials on it. I watched it. To say that Trump has an uneven relationship with the media is just a joke. It's one channel. And it's a channel that kicks your ass because they're not making the news all day about how Trump hurt my feelings and Trump's too close to Fox. Because that's all your channel does, Brian. Here's Chris Saliza, the 11 most dangerous things Donald Trump said in his Montana speech. Oh, dangerous. Here it comes. Four, they are so dishonest. Fake news or fake news media. Eight days ago, a man walked in the Capitol Gazette. Oh, Jesus Christ. We're back to the Capitol Capitol Gazette. Really? Oh, okay. Got it. Then Jim Acosta wanted to make sure everyone knew he actually did get one question answered by Trump during the joint press conference in UK earlier today. And as you would expect, it was a seriously important question because, you know, he is all about serious reporting. Jim Acosta, at the end of the news conference, I asked Trump if he will tell Putin to stay out of U.S. elections. And he said yes. TikTok by Bloomberg. Let's go to a real network. Trump says declined to take a question from CNN's Jim Acosta during a joint press conference with Theresa May. He answers a question for Fox News instead. Trump ignored Jim Acosta while calling on Fox's John Roberts. I don't take questions from CNN. CNN is fake news. I'll take questions from a real network. (laughs) As you can tell, not only did the media get all crazy about that, they attacked John Roberts. John Roberts got attacked over and over and over. And then Chris Saliza comes in. If you're cheering this, ask yourself what your life would be like with a media that only did things the president liked. And the entire world goes, we did for eight years. Eight fucking years. Eight years. Oh, these fucking people. They're fucking horrible. Then the LA Times, Newsweek, blamed Trump's violent rhetoric for fueling California hate crimes. That's a whole thing that they're pushing out there. Over and over and over. And they come up with stats that nobody can confirm, nobody can make up. And that brings us to our key hypocrisy. I'm going to play this, even though I don't want to play this. This was the worst kabuki theater I've ever seen. And the things the Democrats did, and the statement that Tennessee Representative Steve Cohen said, just made me not podcast the other day, because I was too fucking angry. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Chair, I don't know where to start. Uh, If I could give you a Purple Heart, I would. You deserve one. This has been an attack on you in a way to attack Mr. Mueller and the investigation that is to get at Russia collusion involved in our election, which is what this committee should be looking at, a direct strike at democracy and what this country is about and free and fair elections, keeping us independent of who is our foe, not our, our, you know, our competitor, our foe. I just returned from the OSCE in Berlin. And there is little question among our allies and people and diplomats throughout Europe that Russia is an antagonistic country that is trying to wreak havoc in the Baltics, in the Balkans as well. They tried to assass- use assassination. 
to try to influence the elections in Montenegro, what they've done in Ukraine with Crimea and the Donbass, what they've done in Georgia, what they've done in Moldova. They are the bad guys. And you've dedicated your most of your life to working and counterintelligence. One of your big cases, I think, was Donald Heathfield and Tracy Ann Foley. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And that was you. How many Russian uh, folks did you expose and bring to justice? But that was a that was a long, large investigation that a tremendous number of extraordinary people worked on. That there were ultimately, I believe, ten roughly uh, Russian illegals that were here. But that I started out in the early days and was honored to start out. And again, that that ran a decade. And how many Russians were were, were, were deported for that? Sir, I, I, if memory serves, ten or eleven. But I, I'm not certain on that number. Pretty good case that you worked on. Yeah, a good job. Good case. Did you work on Russia primarily when you were at the FBI in that area? Uh, at that period, uh, early on, yes. Are there some things you can tell us about the Russians that maybe we should know before the president meets with Mr. Putin, his uh, very good friend, and a man he cannot say anything bad about? Well, sir, I, I can speak to my experience as a, as a national security professional in the FBI. Uh, the Russians are a top-rate uh, adversary in terms of their foreign intelligence service in terms of how competently they are able to use their intelligence service to achieve their foreign policy and national security goals, uh, many of which you, you referenced, uh, their desire, their the threat from NATO, trying to undermine the Western alliance, trying to minimize the role and influence and leadership of the United States around the world, uh, attempting to minimize and, and undermine the extraordinary greatness of our democracy to make it seem pedestrian and nothing special and on par with their kleptocracy and, and near dictatorship that they have to somehow make us seem less. And that is a logical way for investigators, attorneys, and starting to approach with the political death penalty and impeachment is not a logical way, a neutral, dispassionate. Mr. Chairman, we're demanding equal. And if you can't control Mr. yourself, Mr. how do you expect this committee to control itself? You've been out of control since you've been on this committee. Why don't you leave it alone? This is not Benghazi. The gentle lady from New Jersey is recognized. You're recognized, Congresswoman. You're recognized when she finishes. Well, hallelujah. If anybody should be pissed at the FBI because you all helped this unfit man become president of the states by not revealing to the people that he was under investigation in his campaign, it should be me. They should be applauding you kissing you and giving you all awards because but for you we would have had a legit and you have come in here and said i'm bias and you do it with a straight face and i watched you in the in the private testimony you gave and i told some of the other guys he is really good he's lying he knows we know he's lying and he could probably pass a polygraph it's amazing mr chairman no, this is my Mr. Time. Chairman, I'm sorry, I, point of paused. order. This point of order. No. The general state is point of order. A member of this committee just asserted that this witness who is under oath and a former agent of the FBI lied. There is no evidence of that. I ask him to withdraw it. I do not withdraw it. He is not a member of Congress, not a violation of the rule. And just as you have been expressing bias through your members about what a hero there is not a single person who has ever characterized the a gentleman from Rhode Island. Gentlemen, it's my time. That's a gentleman from Rhode Island will suspend.
know the disgrace Mr. what this man has done. The gentleman from Texas will suspend for a there moment. There is the disgrace, and it won't be recaptured anytime soon because of the damage you've done to the justice system. And I've talked to FBI agents around the country. You've embarrassed them. You've embarrassed yourself. And I can't help but wonder when I see you looking there with a little smirk, how many times did you look so innocent into your wife's eye and lie to her about... Uh, Mr. Chairman, this is outrageous. Shame on you. Mr. Chairman, please. You know, Chairman, this is intolerable harassment of the witness. What's wrong with that? You need your medication. The moment Special Counsel Bob Mueller found out about Peter Strzok's text and emails, he kicked him off of the investigation. But that was a year and a half too late. The text and the emails may have been discovered in May of 2017, but the bias existed and was manifest a year and a half before that, all the way back to late 2015 and early 2016. It wasn't the discovery of text that got him fired. It was the bias manifest in those texts that made him unfit to objectively and dispassionately investigate. So if the bias existed in late 2015 and early 2016, and it did, his unfitness to investigate existed then. Sure, I think it's important when you look at those texts that you understand the context in which they were made and the things that were going on across America. In terms of the text that we will stop it. You need to understand that that was written late at night, off the cuff, and it was in response to a series of events that included then-candidate Trump insulting the immigrant family of a fallen war hero. And my presumption, based on that horrible, disgusting behavior, that the American population would not elect somebody demonstrating that behavior to be president of the United States, it was in no way, unequivocally, any suggestion that me, the FBI would take any action whatsoever to improperly impact the electoral process for any candidate. So I, I take great offense and I take great disagreement to your assertion of what that was or wasn't. As to the 100 million to one, that was clearly a statement made in jest and using hyperbole. I, of course, recognize that millions of Americans were likely to vote for candidate Trump. I acknowledge that is absolutely their right. That is what makes our democracy such a vibrant process that it is. But to suggest somehow that we can parse down the words of shorthand textual conversations like there's some contract for a car is, is simply not consistent with my or most people's use of text messaging. I can assure you, Mr. Chairman, at no time in any of these texts did those personal beliefs ever enter into the realm of any action I took. Furthermore, this isn't just me sitting here telling you, you don't have to take my word for it. At every step, at every investigative decision, there are multiple layers of people above me, the assistant director, executive assistant director, deputy director, and director of the FBI, and multiple layers of people below me, section chiefs, supervisors, unit chiefs, case agents, and analysts, all of whom were involved in all of these decisions. They would not tolerate any improper behavior in me any more than I would tolerate it in them. That is who we are as the FBI. And the thing that I, in some dark chamber somewhere in the FBI, would somehow cast aside all of these procedures, all of these safeguards, and somehow be able to do this is astounding to me. It simply couldn't happen. And the proposition that that is going on, that it might occur anywhere in the FBI, deeply corrodes what the FBI is in American society, the effectiveness of their mission, and it is deeply destructive. The, 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 the. 
course, the media, as you'll see, supported all of this, but them cheering this man who tried to obstruct an election and Representative Cohen, Robert J. O'Neill, the guy who took out Obama, Representative Cohen should apologize to every wounded veteran and the families of fallen heroes. Saying Zork, Zork should get a purple heart is disgusting. His replies? I said something at the hearing yesterday about Purple Hearts, which another network that's named for a four-legged animal has been making a big deal about. I regret using the term Purple Heart. I use it metaphorically, not literally. I never literally thought the Purple Heart should be given to an agent, Zork, but I do believe that he was being attacked because the FBI and Mueller investigation were under attack. Let's catch the Marley. I mean, we're at war with Russia, Cohen on CNN just now. Stephen Cohen. Russia has nukes and oil and not participating, particularly fond of China. So we need good relations, not our foe. When is that tweet? 2012. Same man. Now we're at war with Russia. But back then, when it was convenient to bash Mitt Romney and support Obama, they're our friends. Hmm. John Brennan came out of the woodwork to do his tweets. Watching the spectacle of the House hearing with Peter Zork today, I was reminded of words of Abraham Lincoln. America never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, well, because we destroyed ourselves. 30,000 retweets of that lying tweet, because Lincoln never said it. Both Krasenstein brothers lost their fucking minds over it, they work for CNN. Aaron Blank. Zork says his ignorant hillbilly texts were about the rivalry between Virginia, Fairfax County, and Loudoun County. Somebody says the ultimate irony of this text and his defense of it is that Lennon County is one of, if not the wealthiest county in the U.S., with a median income of 115000 which is higher than Fairfax County. It also is not exactly overrun with Trump's voters since HRC won it handily in 2016. CNN, Representative Bonnie Watson Coleman tells her Republican colleagues that they should be thankful, FBI agent Peter Zork, they should be applauding you, kissing you, and giving you all the awards because because of you, because but for you, we would have had a legitimate president elected. Legitimate president elected. New York Times, support savvy, reliable Zork against his Republican antagonizers. Multiple articles saying that he is a great guy. This is out close. A former army officer, Mr. Zork, has worked for, at the FBI for more than two decades. He rose quickly through, his, quickly through his ranks, earning a reputation within the Bureau as one of the most savvy and reliable counterintelligence agents ever. Ever. You know why they feel this way? December 5th, 2017, foreign policy article for foreign policy agents, a <coughs> foreign policy magazine. Donald Trump is guilty. The only remaining question is, is what exactly is he guilty of? This is our media. This is our media. This is what they think. So when Democrats cheer an agent who's basically been relieved of his duties, 
when they ignore texts about how horrible Trump is and Trump voters and how we're going to stop the will of the people, they believe it's just. And they side with him on every network. What we don't know is why these two sides can't come together for you. They work for you. We asked all the big Republicans um, to come on who were big at the hearing today. None of them came on. They all went on Fox. We asked them all. We gave them the opportunity to make the case. They all went to the mothership. And as long as it continues that way, there can't be common ground. It shows you just what... Well, that wasn't supposed to be the purpose of today's hearing, but that's what it turned into. Of course, we know it's going to be partisan, but I mean, this is this hyper partisanship that we're in now is just really unprecedented and is it's really unbelievable. I was embarrassed actually watching today. I was sitting there saying, Chris, this is who's running our country. What what is going now? We know why people want to vote the bums out. Well, you know, and you know what? That's the hope. The hope is that people will see this and say, we want better. No matter your stripe, right, left, or reasonable, that you make different choices based on what you're saying. But I do have to say, um, you know, we have to figure out what we're going to do. And uh, I don't think the people in Washington, many of them, did themselves a service today. What we saw on Capitol Hill today was nasty. A hearing that erupted into chaos from the very first question. A partisan, bare-knuckle brawl. And battled FBI agent Peter Strzok going head-to-head with House Republicans well into the night, vigorously defending himself against attacks over his anti-Trump texts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Congress of the United States of America, our leaders, we voted them in. Playing politics and trying to discredit the Russia investigation just days before President Trump's face-to-face meeting with Vladimir Putin. One thing is for sure, if Russia intended to sow discord in this country, mission accomplished. So this is a day that arguably, in the minds of many, may have empowered Vladimir Putin. Why do we say that? It's not just President Trump wreaking havoc in NATO. It's also the president's allies in the House Republicans trying at times, sometimes looking shameless about it, to undermine the investigation into Vladimir Putin's election meddling. All day on Capitol Hill, Republicans have raked one of the FBI's top agents, Peter Strzok, over the coals for sending personal anti-Trump text messages during the election as the FBI's Russia investigation was getting underway. The president and his allies have seized on those texts for months as smoking gun through proof of bias and corruption inside the FBI, which of course comes as the president pushes conspiracy theories about a so-called criminal deep state in a so-called rigged Russia investigation. Folks, you have to view today's hearing in light of what's happened these last 36 hours. President Trump did trash NATO. He shrugged off Putin's meddling in our presidential election. And now his allies in Congress are holding what some say looks like a show trial that's intent on undermining the investigation into Putin's meddling. All of it comes just days before the president meets one-on-one with Putin. And right now the president doesn't seem very interested in pressing Putin about the attack on our democracy. So who benefits from everything I just mentioned? Some might say just one person, Putin. And what does that say about today's hearing? Well, here's one way to look at it. The honest truth is that Russian interference in our elections constitutes a grave attack on our democracy. Most disturbingly, it has been wildly successful, sowing discord in our nation and shaking faith in our institutions. I have the utmost respect for Congress's oversight role, but I strongly believe today's hearing is just another victory notch in Putin's belt and another milestone in our enemy's campaign to tear America apart. 
So I think it's remarkable that Strzok has that, that is actually the most robust defense of the FBI that we've heard from a sitting official. I think that really was remarkable. Look, what he's trying to explain and what, met, what at least the Republicans on the committee sort of refused to acknowledge was that every person has political beliefs. Every person has political opinions. That's different from bias. Uh, that individuals who work for federal law enforcement or for the federal government put those opinions, they leave those opinions at the door, and they do their job in a nonpartisan, apolitical manner. And I completely agree with Mr. Strzok on this. Americans don't understand this. You're talking about hundreds of people involved in this investigation, regardless of whether you believe him or not, you're thinking that he can walk into the FBI Hoover building and say, let me figure out a way to manipulate another 200 people. This was a little more than an opportunity for lawmakers to grandstand and frankly to distract from the real issue at hand, which is Russian interference in the U.S. election. And I think the mere fact that we're having this conversation shows that these attacks on the Bureau are actually working. This has uh, created the doubt in lots of Americans' minds about whether or not FBI agents, federal law enforcement, are actually executing the law or whether or not they are, uh, you know, settling political grudges. And that itself is such an incredibly corrosive thing. It was for show. It was for show. The whole thing was for show. We didn't learn a lot. Yeah. The whole, whole thing was odious in a way. I think at the end of the day, if you can't defend on the facts, you try and discredit the investigation. If you can't discredit the investigation, you try and discredit the investigator. And this is sort of, they're, they're now trying to discredit Pete Strzok individually. Even that has, has failed, although I do think that it has long-term uh, long harm to independent law enforcement and in this if, country. And if the Russian intention was to sow dissent yeah. here in the United States, from their perspective, mission accomplished. We saw that underscore today. I just checked the latest numbers. Congress has a 19% approval rating. You could make an argument watching the last three or four hours of that, that that exactly is the reason why. It was the worst behavior. It was like really watching something out of the, out of the 50s, out of the McCarthy era, where you see someone brought up, ordered to ask, answer questions he can't possibly answer. It was really an appalling piece of behavior from the leadership of that committee. Well, I'm personally glad that Peter Strzok had an opportunity to talk publicly about this and so that the American people could see his professionalism, as well as what I think is his integrity. Uh, he is, has been an outstanding FBI agent. The efforts by Congress to engage in this rigmarole designed to make political points at the expense of the FBI's credibility and the important work that they're doing here, I thought was a moment of embarrassment for this body. There's only one person who can sit and watch this travesty and enjoy it. And his name is Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin must be very happy, as well as Russian intelligence security services, because of the discord that's being sown in the halls of Congress here. And uh, taking these cheap shots, and that's what I call them, cheap shots at uh, uh, Pete Strzok, I think were just unconscionable. I once again state, if Representative Cohen is re-elected in the state of Tennessee, there's something wrong with those people. There's already a campaign to get them fucking evicted from his position. That statement was beyond the pale. Democrats cheering for a witness is beyond the pale. And this is why the American people look up at Washington and go, you're broke. You're all broke. How our government's not working was the perfect example was that hearing. We're doing a hearing of an individual that went way beyond his fucking purview as an FBI agent and was caught being political. If you think for a second, Democrats, if the, if the shoe was turned and this was about Hillary 
like the media was saying, the you know NBC at all were going on at nauseum over how the FBI was just a bunch of Republican shills trying to stop Hillary's election. Have you found tweets like, do you not think there would be hearings? Do you not think the media would be destroying Zork? You know it would. But now, because he's bashing Trump and you hate Trump, it's okie dokie. But that's, that's part of the problem. Our media are not objective agents. They're just like him. Proof. Google, or excuse me, YouTube starting a working group on journalistic expertise. Sorry, I cannot talk today. Guess who's on it? Vox, CNN, all lefties. There's no conservative media in there. There's no objective media in there. There's just left-leaning networks. And to close out and go into stats of the day, they're upset because Trump's talking about changing the paint scheme on Air Force One. Because a Democratic president, Kennedy, was the first out of the plane. That became an issue this week. That's an issue. Changing paint. Welcome back to the Ingram Angle. Never Trump conservatives are becoming so marginalized, they're resorting to utterly desperate tactics to avoid irrelevancy. Case in point, take a listen to author and columnist Max Boot, who I will say I've known for years and found before to be a thoughtful guy. He claims to still be a principled conservative, but listen. I devoutly hope that every single Republican running for election next November loses because we cannot count on this Republican Party to hold the Donald Trumps of the world accountable. Uh, they have just shown that they have no willingness to uphold the Constitution and their oaths of office. So the only way we're going to get accountability in, the, in Washington is by electing Democrats. Whoa. Uh, these never-Trumpers may be even more hysterical than Democrats now. Joining us now to analyze is Howard Kurtz, the host of Media Buzz, airing Sundays at 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Fox News channel. Howard, thanks for being here. What do you make of the increasing rhetoric, anti-Trump rhetoric, from never-Trumpers? Well, I get that Max Boot and Steve Schmidt and George Will, who I've respected for years, uh, are upset because they think that President Trump has ruined their vision of the GOP. But it's a bit hard to grasp how they are now openly rooting for Democrats, given that they've spent their whole careers opposing them as the party of big government, big spending, mm -hmm. weak foreign policy. And it's hard not to notice, I'm not saying this is their motivation, but it's hard not to notice that these defections uh, bring them favorable publicity, MSNBC mm. contracts, and new respect from the left. <laughs> Laura has said, you know, part of this, the, part of the motivation is sort of this elitist, snobbish sense that they know what the Republican Party ought be, and now they don't have the seat at the table, so they're turning the table over. Uh, and again, as I said, I've known Max Boot, smart, thoughtful guy, and a lot of foreign policy stuff. But to see, to say, vote for Democrats, I, that's just a, it, I can't add it up. 
<laughs> well, you know, I understand from their point of view, they're saying they, they still feel they're conservative and President Trump is taking the party in a different direction. That's fine. But when, what troubles me in saying, you know, good for Democrats, what troubles me is some of the overheated rhetoric here. For example, in a column uh, just the other day, Max Boot uh, wrote that uh, the GOP has become a white nationalist party with a conservative fringe. And he's also compared it to post-war Germany and Japan needs to be destroyed so it can be rebuilt. And I think that betrays how much they hate this president. Yeah. But also, you know, the columns aren't having much impact on actual voters because, you know, you look at the numbers and Trump is enjoying a record 90% approval among Republican voters. So yeah. they're in. There is perhaps no more impressive or majestic symbol of the American presidency than Air Force One. President Trump believes the next generation of the aircraft needs some changes, including a new color scheme. Here's Chris Van Cleef. The blue and white 747, known to most as Air Force One, owes its iconic look to President John F. Kennedy and his wife Jackie. So Kennedy wanted an airplane that built the brand of the presidency. It's all part of this whole pattern of him trying to create, increase the visibility of the presidency as an active office and as a glamorous office, which he succeeded in doing. Ken Walsh wrote Air Force One, a history of the presidents and their planes. President Trump is perfectly willing to upend a lot of the norms of Washington and the conventions of Washington, and it appears that includes Air Force One. Shortly after taking office, Mr. Trump took the unusual step of personally negotiating with Boeing for two brand new 747s. Well, the plane is totally out of control. It's going to be over $4 billion. It's for Air Force One program. They'll be delivered sometime after 2020 but may drop the iconic look for a new Trump-inspired red, white, and blue design. Mr. Trump would not be the first commander-in-chief to make changes to a presidential aircraft. Harry Truman left behind Roosevelt's nondescript sacred cow for the eye-catching independence, painted as an eagle. President Eisenhower got the first jet going with a standard military paint job, but every president since Kennedy has stayed with the look he created. It's just a concern that President Trump, the showman, is going to go too far with changing the look of this iconic plane that so many people are familiar with. And a lot of people wonder, why do it? Another of the reported changes, President Trump is considering a bigger, better presidential bed on board the new plane. The current bed has been compared to something like a futon. The European Union is our country's largest trade partner and its largest investor. The U.S. and the European Union are the two worlds, are the world's two largest economies and can steer global trade to their advantage if they stick together. More than four million Americans work for European companies in the U.S. Forty-five of the 50 states export more to Europe than to China. So if Donald Trump goes there and he starts angrily um, yelling at, at Germany, saying that they're beholden to Russia, etc. If he has this attitude, what is the what is the risk of any of that stuff unraveling? Any of the economic ties? What are we going to see for as consequences, real-life consequences, now that the president has decided to take this tact? There are consequences. I mean, let's also go back to why the European Union itself was formed. It was formed in the 
in the aftermath of World War II, where there was a poisonous nationalism that caused two world wars in the 20th century that killed more than 100 million people. The EU was meant to get around and away from that toxic nationalism, right? But who's bringing it back? Donald Trump. America first is toxic nationalism. It, it is to the Europeans, and he's doing the bidding of Russia, which has always wanted to unravel the European Union, unravel NATO. Even in his wildest dreams, Vladimir Putin did never expect an American president to go to a NATO summit and harangue Germany publicly for being a client state of Russia. I play that because that's the media trying to spin against facts. CNBC, 213 jobs added, is a great report, as good as it gets. Record 155,576,000 people employed in June, 10th record for Trump. But Dems, blast blooming job report, Trump worker agenda, reckless. Nancy Pelosi will be our, our lighter fare today. The June job report shows what it takes, what is at stake for the brewing storm of rising health costs, spiraling trade uncertainties, and an economic being hol- economy being hollowed out to enrich big corporations and the wealthiest one percent. Americans deserve better than the GOP's raw deal instead of the new deal. After the U.S. Department of Labor released the latest jobs and unemployment number, DNC Chair and former Labor Secretary Tom Perez released the following statement. Oh, end of day, stock up on canned food. You fucking people are horrible. Twitter's also horrible. Reportedly suspended 70 million accounts in past two months. Problem is, 60% of them weren't bots. They were Republicans, conservative-leaning people all over the world, 60%. Immigration, top issue for U.S. voters. Economy, close second. Reuters, ISPAS poll. And the sad thing is, they like the way Trump's handling it. Hmm, that's not good for you, Dems. Baltimore cops stopped noticing crime after Freddie Gray incident. Officers were criticized for enforcing the law, so they stopped. A new report from USA Today suggests that Baltimore police officers stopped seeing crime after facing harsh criticism even from their own mayor following the 2015 death of a man in custody, Freddie Gray. And this is more of what we've already reported, but this is now showing that the number of field interviews, instances where the police approach someone for questioning, dropped 70%. Dispatch records show the number of suspected narcotic offenses police reported dropped 30%. The Baltimore Police Department acknowledged the change, but also say fewer people want to be out on the beat and that they're suffering from a shortage of patrol officers. Drug dealers now rule the street, and the murder rate has skyrocketed, and police hands are tied, they say. The report underscores a problem. Attorney General Jeff Sessions identified at the beginning of his own tenure that letting the ACLU run police departments has disastrous consequences and that protests against police officers, the vast majority of whom do not engage in racial discrimination or violent behavior, makes America less safe. So now the liberal USA Today is bashing the cops once again. It's their fault for not doing their job. But if they do their job... You call them racist. Even if they're black, they're racist. You reap what you sow, Democrats. And that's our stats of the day. A music break, and we're going to go into some reviews. The first one, oh yeah, Tony watched 
Chappaquiddick. I'm gonna 
welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. My dad once said to me, Tragedy has a way of defining people. Cripple some people till they curl up into a ball. Mr. Kennedy? Mr. Kennedy? Yeah. See, so still the man with all the influence. What the hell happened, Teddy? It was an accident. I was driving. A story like this could dominate the headlines for weeks. Chief, we got a body. A dead body holds a lot of secrets. Those can be the difference between guilt and innocence. So we need to be in control of them. There's not a lot of senators that are charged with manslaughter that go on to become president. What do we do to help the senator? We tell the truth, or at least our version of it. Been diagnosed with a concussion. I haven't examined the patient yet. These theatrics are not going to hold up in a court of law. Get the hell with you guys! I'm not going to be the one defined by my flaws. If her family doesn't blame you, why should America? I want to be a great man. I just don't know who I am. This family perseveres. We have a true compass and we follow it. Five, four, three... Moses had a temper. Peter betrayed Jesus. I have Champa Quiddick. Moses had a temper, but he never left a girl at the bottom of the Red Sea. Very impressed with this movie. And I'm going to read just one review of it. And it came from Variety of all places. Why every liberal should see Champa Quiddick. In our noisy, toxically divided may, my way or the highway political culture, you're on one side or the other, and there's almost no middle ground left. No place where liberals and conservatives can overlap without feeling like they're betraying their own cause. Chappaquiddick, the deep and gripping new DACA drama about the tragic incident that took place on July 18, 1969, when Senator Kennedy drove his car off a bridge and his passenger, Mary Jo Kopechny, died by drowning, is a more probing drama of corruption than any movie Hollywood has released in years. As I said in my review, it's a movie made in the spirit of open-eyed and, yes, liberal inquiry. Yet it is a film that liberal moviegoers are... are, Yet is it a film that liberal moviegoers are ready to embrace? The critics have mostly been kind, but the tone of the media coverage has been cautious, reserved, and a tad skeptic. The movie is going after a sacred cow. The irony is that Chappaquiddick is being celebrated in conservative media circles because it paints a devastatingly critical portrait of Ted Kennedy. One of the icons of post-war American liberalism, conservative media tends to be mind-bending in its selectivity. It will rush to attack a Kennedy or a Clinton or anyone who works in Hollywood, but it'll never touch a Donald Trump or Roy Moore. 
I'd like to think I speak for my fellow liberals when I say that I condemn that blinding level of hypocrisy. Yet the power of Chappaquiddick as a movie is that it's not a conservative indictment of the Kennedy clan. It doesn't attack Ted Kennedy's politics. It says that he betrayed his politics, betrayed the progressive dream by refusing at a critical moment to live within the rule of law. Conservatives can make hay out of that if they like, but the movie is really aimed at liberals and laying out what happened to Chappaquiddick and in the case of certain incidents what might have happened the filmmakers are forced to speculate since no one who was there is now alive chappaquiddick doesn't just reenact a legendary political scandal from 50 years ago it throws down a gauntlet to contemporary liberal culture the events of chappaquiddick cast a looming shadow over ted kennedy's life and career even though he went on to be one of the most diligent and ardent senators he adds because he doesn't want to get killed by the lefties and the film, in taking the measure of his dishonesty in 1969, and asks, what is the legacy of divide, dividing off the personal from the political? There has been some carping about the film's historical accuracy, though nothing that I've read questions the essential interpretation of history that it presents. And the Boston Globe says it's spot on. Very long article, not going to read it all, but I will tell you, if you watch this film, you'll understand that when I was at Arlington National Cemetery and I went to JFK, off to the left, there's a little cross with Ted Kennedy, and I spit on it. This man was an evil piece of fucking shit. And the media wants to forget it. But once again, if any Republican left a girl to die, and there are reports that she sat for three hours in that car in the only air pocket, she did not drown. She suffocated. She ran out of oxygen. For 10 hours, he did not report it. If he had an R behind his name, he would have been voted out of office by Republicans. Our next one is not getting a lot of love, but I really liked it. Just a little nervous. Wow, you look very handsome. I just don't want to screw it up, you know? You have been preparing for this meeting for six months. You've got this. Let me ask you guys a question. Daddy loves who? Me. Daddy loves who? Me! Me! Exactly. Daddy's going to go make that bacon. Gross. Mr. Sawyer, is your family enjoying their stay? Very much so. They're shocked. You gave us the entire floor. After your security assessment, what do you think of the building? With all due respect, he's a glorified security guard. Please. The Pearl is the tallest, most advanced building in the world. You've built a vertical city, but you've brought with it every single safety and security challenge that I could think of. We thought this floor was empty. So did I. Not only have you brought them all indoors, but you've trapped them 240 floors in the air. No one really knows what would happen if things go wrong. But I'm just a glorified security guard, so what the hell do I know anyway? What's going on? The 96th floor is on fire. You're going to be just fine, I promise you that. No, 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 no! Daddy! Tell me, how much do you love your family? They 
If we're going to get out of here, you're going to have to tell me the truth. There's a reason they chose this building. going to read reviews of this it's getting bashed by everybody but i'm going to tell you we went to an imax um screening of this well it's rpx regal rpx is a huge 70 foot screen or 60 foot whatever the fuck it's gigantic and you have a million speakers and i am going to tell you right now it was entertaining granted i did a review on my personal um facebook and i said you know the Rock duct tapes some duct tapes his way through a movie because he pretty much does. He uses duct tape for bandages to Spider Man on a window. There's a lot of implausible, stu- implausible stuff. But if you literally watch it and you have any kind of fear of height, you're gonna shit your pants because there's a couple scenes that are pretty amazing. Um, and it's action packed. Um, I rated it a quarter sleeper uh, for those that follow me on my personal uh, Facebook. I rate movies by how much my wife sleeps. So she only slept for 25 minutes in the beginning when they were setting up character development. It was kind of boring. And then she never slept again because there was so much action. I mean, you just go and you keep going and it doesn't stop. And yes, the crane scene is fucking fantastic. It's a good scene. Would it happen? No. But it's pretty cool all the same. So go see Skyscraper. It's a great way to beat the heat. It's very entertaining, and other than, you know, he's not an Arnold. The Rock can act. There was a couple times he showed emotion. I actually bought it, and at the end when he's almost crying with his kids, wow. I gotta say, The Rock is stretching his artistic boundaries, man. He is no longer Baywatch dude with some kick-ass graphics tattooed on his body. And our last one, I... Got this off eBay, bought it uh, in a bidding war for 25 bucks, And I got to admit, I'm already through, uh, halfway through season two. Pretty damn good. Are you ready for China Beach? Let's do it. We're going to get to the reunion right now. It premiered 25 years ago right here on ABC. Gave viewers a look at the Vietnam War from the perspective of nurses and doctors supporting the front lines. It also launched some major careers. And the cast recently got back together for the first time since the series at the Paley Center in Los Angeles. Here's Rachel Smith. China Beach was a favorite of critics and fans alike during its four-season run on ABC, starting in 1988. Known for its unique and dramatic portrayal of the Vietnam War. Like the classic TV show MASH in its depiction of the Korean War, China Beach brought home Vietnam from a different perspective. 
<laughs> now the cast from the Five and Dimes Evac Hospital are back together. Hi, I'm good. How are you? First TV sit down since the series. The ensemble, Colleen, including Dana Delaney and Mark Helgenberger, all present for the roll call. Is it always this much fun? Yeah. And looking far more glamorous than their characters did at a reunion that played out in the show's finale. They did you know, Justin? Oh, yes. Nicely done. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, over two decades, you know? It doesn't seem, uh, when you say it like that, it's intimidating. It doesn't seem like that much time has gone by. Being together brought back some great memories. Lunches were pretty legendary. Yeah! Lunches were pretty legendary? Legendary. Yeah. How so? People would come from the studio, everybody, just to show up to the lunches. Yeah. It was the funniest group you've ever been around. Then we'd go out. because the and... food was good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, the food I, was... I think I ate twice. twice. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, we were all wearing yeah. like swimsuits. It's like, you know, three in the morning and you're in Indian dunes. And, mm -hmm. and it's cold. I mean, it's like. And you're so, you know, I remember, <laughs> you were trying to simulate the you know, tropical weather. It sucked at times. I'll admit it. Reflections of. For me, at least, it was the first acting job where I really felt a responsibility. You know, we felt like we had, we were on a mission. Three someone patted me on the head. <laughs> and I, I, What's I'm, that I'm, hoping, I'm hoping it's because I admitted to him recently. Uh -huh. I was terrified. It was my first job. I, I was 23 years old. I didn't have a clue about what I was getting into. At the beginning of every season, we had like a boot camp where we would meet with the real vets, the nurses, the donut dollies, all the people who had actually been in Vietnam. And we were, I think, all sort of in shock and overwhelmed. Over the course of the show, we talked to over 500 veterans, and um, they were crucial to, the, I think, the authenticity that we were trying for, the reality. Vietnam was reality for one cast member, Troy Evans. And I'm really looking forward to learning all that over I Who served in the 25th Infantry Division. Clearly, this wasn't just another Hollywood acting gig for you. I, like a lot of vets, I just buried it. I thought I'd forgotten it. And for me, China Beach was my therapy. That was my bridge back into, really back into civilization. So how do you all feel like the show was before its time? Well, it's focused on the women in Vietnam. That was pretty revolutionary. You've got this wonderful idea of the, of the complexities of these women that were there going through all of the same things as the men, not on the field of battle per se, but cleaning up after it. And that's why I love the Army. Actress turned talk show host Ricky Lake joined the cast in the third season. What was it like coming into this cast that had already been there? It was daunting. You know, I come from Hairspray. I mean, in a way, I mean that in the nicest way. John Waters, you know, it was like camp. I was also very starstruck with these, these talented actors. So, you know, I'm still starstruck by Dana. <laughs> what was the proudest moment that you recall that the show achieved, be it on or off screen? That will never be forgotten. A woman two weeks ago just said, oh my God, you're on China Beach. And I kept thinking, yes, I was. Hmm. Yes, I was. What's coming back to you right now is John. Oh, you know, I'm always so loath to um, talk about it because, again, Troy was there. You know, we weren't in Vietnam. And I just feel like I'm an actor. But I just feel so honored that we got to tell some stories that, you know, the people who can talk. So I'm just really proud to have been part of it. For Good Morning America, Rachel Smith, ABC News.
Los Angeles. A little emotion there for Dana Delaney in China Beach. The complete season cut one comes out tomorrow with all eight episodes and a whole. This is a very groundbreaking series and was done from the woman's perspective. But 25 years later, watching it, and now it's 30, because I think it was 2012, was, you know, it's more than that. I mean, it's, it's an old show. I didn't watch it as a kid because I didn't watch army shows because I was in the fucking army. So it was kind of something I didn't like watching. It's kind of like if you're a fisherman, you don't fish on your off time. But give it a watch. I, I have to admit that this is um pretty moving. It's liberal and it's anti-war, but that's, you know, Vietnam. But I think it did a good job for Vietnam vets of kind of giving them some props, helping everybody deal with it. I've read a lot of the testimonials of people that watch this show and came to grips with some of their problems. But it, it, it delves into a subject that you don't hear about. You hear about the guy who was the ranger and killed everybody with a fucking toothpick and a fucking Swiss Army knife and has PTSD. You don't hear about the doctors and the nurses and the medics. Um and something we don't do anymore, the donut dollies that were out there from the Red Cross and got caught up in shit. Um, There's a show where one of them dies, and there were three killed and an un, undetermined number of female American citizens that were over there helping that died um, during the war. So, um, great show. I think it's well worth a binge of your board you want to go back we've been going way back i'm not doing a review on the waltons we're watching the waltons all six seasons and it's sappy it's you know it would never make the air today because it's religious and loving and nice but we close every night watching the waltons before we go to bed and i gotta admit my sleep has improved quite a bit Uh, it's a happy show with happy people they're smiling um and it has a moral every time. And I do believe if there was more Walton Mountain in this world, we'd probably be a better world. But there's more Manhattan. And, and that's probably bad. So let's go to our last music break. And then we're going to go into uh, new social media nuggets. Today there's a serious soundbite going in. How NBC and everybody pretty much skipped the latest casualty in the war on terror. Um, it's like they forgot we have a war. Interesting. To you, I'll 
welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reese. This, this, is, this is something, man. This is, this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You tell them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. In Pakistan today, politics turned deadly. The suicide bomber killed more than 120 people at a campaign rally near the Afghan border. A candidate for the regional parliament is among the dead. ISIS claimed responsibility. Attacks have been increasing in the run-up to the July 25th election. Overseas tonight from Pakistan now, ISIS is now claiming responsibility for a devastating suicide bombing that targeted a political rally in southwest province. Officials there say a candidate for the state legislature was killed along with at least 128 other people. Tonight, ISIS has given no reason for the attack. And the Pentagon has now identified the fallen soldier we first reported on last night here. Sergeant First Class Christopher Salis died from wounds sustained during a combat operation in Afghanistan. Salis, who was 32 years old and hailed from Somerville, South Carolina, was assigned to the 75th Ranger Regiment out of Hunter Army Airfield in Georgia. They just totally ignored that the Department of Defense on Friday identified that America's service member killed in Afghanistan on July 12th as Army Sergeant First Class Christopher Andrew Salis from Somerville, South Carolina. Army officials are trying to determine what the circumstances are surrounding his death. Vice Chief of Staff General James McConville said Friday, I can tell you the Sergeant First Class was a hero. He was from 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment, Hunter Army Airfield, Georgia. Died from wounds sustained from enemy small arms fire while conducting combat operations at a medevac landing zone in eastern Paktia province. At the time of his death, he was serving as a battalion mortar platoon sergeant. And that's kind of sad. That's just sad. So for you, Sergeant First Class Silas, we'll pray for you and your family. It's kind of sad. I, you know, I, 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 misre- I misread what would actually happen. Um, I thought that because the Republicans back in the White House, we'd have coverage of the wars. Um, and, you know, and there's, there's, there's a positive in that because then the soldiers actually get respect and dignity and all that stuff. Um, but there's also a negative that, you know, I, I'm really surprised we haven't had protests and code pink came out of the closet and all that shit. But, um, to just to be ignored, I, I just don't understand. Um, but they're too busy saying everything's Russia's fault. Yeah. Trump's the devil, and it doesn't fit their agenda right now. To much more um, comedic, which is hard to transition off of death, be more creative by your veteran t-shirts, please. This is from Manville, that crazy guy. 
I feel obligated to preface this harangue with the statement that the attached video is not a knock against any military veteran-owned apparel company who's out there hustling original ideas, concepts, content, and designs. Those companies are hiring vets and putting out well-thought products that often give back to very people they're selling them to. This is objectively a good thing. That said, if I had to see one more Facebook ad hawking generic, vaguely branded moto shirts that attempt to portray veterans as simpletons to turn a quick buck, I'm going to take my notional head and slam it through a notional glass window where I'll notionally bleed out and notionally die, thus saving me from ever having to see one of those shirts again. I'm sure you can see these things pop up too. It's a simple formula. One, create a Facebook page where you habitually steal other people's content to grow numbers with the specific intention to sell product. Two, give your page a highly generic generic SEO friendly name. Three, think of the gaudiest designs and copy imageable from your apparel products, then find a print on demand platform that will facilitate. Step four, master Facebook ads and target people who are highly susceptible to set ads. Step five, collect money and laugh your way to the bank at, as people purchase from a page that hides behind anonymity. Like, seriously, nobody has the ability to vet you, your intentions or your background. Literally have no idea that your proofing off them is an egregiously disingenuous fashion and that's how that works if you're buying from these facebook pages i promise that you're buying from people who are in the business of military or veteran theme apparel purely to take you for all your worth i used to be mad that they existed but then i realized that the type of person who falls for that kind of stuff deserves to have their money taken from them for a product that will shrink after one wash and make people normal people completely disregard them as human being these messages aren't about pride and service they're statements by insecure people who haven't accomplished anything anywhere any anything else let's put it this way if you're a veteran who became independently wealthy attained a high education or went on to other notable successes you're not going to be wearing a shirt that screams i've i'm over overcompensating at a phd level because chances are your military service is pride-filled footnote in a well-lived life i read it because there is a lot lately and a lot of them are just crap and they're always all over facebook but i bring it up more because I think the greatest def, you know, example that I'm sure Manville knows about, but doesn't want to point him out, is action figure therapy. Um, action figure therapy started out as cute little YouTube videos on Facebook of figures talking, and it was military themed. I mean, they did the whole thing military. And then, they started selling shirts, stickers. I mean, I had problem solved, problem staying solved. And every one of the stores I watched over for US Cav, I had shirts. I gave them a, a shirt idea and they sent me a free one where it said, if it fucks with you, kill it with a hammer. And then Trump got elected and we find out that they're liberal shills. They think that military people are all a bunch of fucking rapi- rapists and white supremacists. It broke my heart. I only have one tank top left because you really can't read it anymore. It's so old. I threw out all their shirts and I threw out all their stickers and they were never for the military. They just wanted to make money and they found a niche. There are a bunch of comedians out in California and they found a niche and they went with it. I mean, there's pictures of their shit and fucking F-18s and then they turned out to be libtards. So, yeah. Fuck them. Moving on. Here's what the Army wants out of us. Next generation squad automatic rifle. When I joined the Army, 
The next year, the squad automatic rifle or the saw, the M249 showed up and everybody fucking hated it. But Texton is gambling with a 14 years of work on case telescopic weapon research with, um, Satisfy the U.S. Army ambitious requirement for the M249 squad automatic weapon. The service recently awarded Textron and five other gunmakers a contract to build prototype weapons for its next generation squad automatic rifle program. The contract awards are the results of prototype opportunity notice the Army released in March. Um, basically, the next generation or NASGAR, NIGSAR, is one of the Army's primary efforts. Operational needs identified at various capability-based assessments and numerous after-action reports. According to the PON solicitation document, we'll combine the firepower and range of a machine gun with the precision and ergonomics of a rifle, yielding a capability improvement in capacity, range, and lethality. There will be lightweight and fire lightweight ammunition, improving soldiers' mobility. Um, basically, here's the stats for the Army geeks out there. Um, the Army wants a prototype weapon including sling, bipod, suppressor to weigh no more than 12 pounds and have a maximum length of 35 inches, according to the document. The weapon must have a sustained rate of fire of 60 rounds per minute for 15 minutes without requiring barrel change, which is going to be hard to do. Under the weapon control requirement, a soldier fires standing with an optic at 50 meters. E-type silhouette, given three to five round bursts, must be able to engage in two to four seconds, placing two rounds 70% of the time on target. The Army also wants ammunition to weigh 20% less. And these Textron cats have futuristic cartridges that are right down the... No brass. Um... So, we'll see. They uh, have a long time to do this, so we won't be talking about this for some time. But it'll be interesting to see. You know, the saw was a great weapon in the beginning. It did give you kind of like a bar effect. But you had to use nut bags, only 100 rounds, it's gone. Barrel changes, the weight. It's not practical for light infantry, just not. Um we always used to say it'd be just better to get a fucking M4 on full auto and get a fucking drum or something. I don't know. Something had to be better than lugging that fucking shit all over the place. So good, be good to see a change in weaponry because it's been a while and I'm still following the new AR platform, um, where they're talking about going 6.8 millimeter or something like that. Um, it'll be neat to see some upgrades. It's been a long time, been a long time. So let's go into are college crazy and we're going to start with a soundbite a cis person has been cast in a trans role again the latest in this age-old casting trend is scarlett johansson who's reuniting with her ghost in the shell director to again erase a marginalized community she'll play dante tex gill a real-life trans man and massage parlor owner in the movie rub and tug a cis person in a trans role is and always has been a problem Allow me, a trans person and culture critic, to break down why. For one, it deprives trans actors of work. Cis actors have far more advantages and access in Hollywood than trans folks do. There's no shortage of unbelievably talented trans actors who never get the chance to play or even audition for trans parts that go directly to more famous cis leads. But there's another huge reason cis people shouldn't play trans, especially right now. It has harmful consequences in the real world, where trans and non-binary people don't have the same legal protections and human rights as cis people, and where trans, especially trans women of color, are murdered at increasing rates. 
traits, often because of the way media misrepresents them. When cis people play trans characters, it sends the message that being trans is just a performance. When Maine and Jared Leto and Jeffrey Tambor play these parts, it tells audiences that trans women are just men in dresses, which of course they're not. A brief look at Hollywood history shows that transmasculine people like me rarely, if ever, get represented on screen. And when we do, it's Hilary Swank and Daniela C and Scarlett Johansson and Rachel Weisz. They get to portray us. Cis women in those roles suggest trans men are just butch women disguised as men. And that's not true. Cis actors playing us delegitimizes our identity, reduces us to dangerous stereotypes, and fails to capture the nuance and truth of who we are. And when cis actors win awards for playing trans, they're called courageous and brave. Not to say those people aren't talented, but there's nothing brave about you mimicking our lives. Being trans is not an acting exercise, and no longer can it be a cis actor's quick ticket to an award. Sure, an A-lister like Johansson guarantees bigger box office than a lesser-known trans lead. But more audiences seeing an inaccurate parody of who we are is more damaging than doing it right. Plus, who's to say a film with an unknown minority lead won't make it to the Oscars? Just look at Moonlight and A Fantastic Woman. And that is the perfect model of what Hollywood needs to do more of. If Hollywood starts casting trans actors in all types of roles, trans and cis, and supporting, then those actors have a chance to grow and become household names. And hopefully, one day, play an Avenger like Johansson. Right now, it's essential for trans people to tell their own stories, on camera and behind it. To all the cis actors out there, like Johansson, now is to use your platform to elevate us. These fucking people, first and foremost, cis is such a negative smear of normal people. And I, I, I was talking to the wife the other day and I went, why don't we get to have a smear? I mean, I can't smear anybody. I, as a white male, I can't even say anything. I remember working someplace and there was a lady who didn't know how to use computers. And she looked like Zoolander. And in the middle of it, I was going to call her a fucking monkey. But she was mixed race, dark complected. I knew I couldn't say that, but the monkey would have been the Zoolander monkey because that's exactly what she looked like. But I caught myself and I said mucka and mucka became N-word and I was a racist. But every time I hear these fucking whatever the fuck they are, cis person. Another guy, Daniela, Daniela, I guess it's a girl, sorry. Uh, Daniela Greenbaum, I believe female actors can play men and trans men. This is not that apparently controversial view that inspired VI to take down my piece. I resigned from Business Insider. She was forced to leave because this crowd of weirdos went crazy over it. And yeah, Scarlett Johansson, an uber lib, who's on their team and was on stage talking eloquently during the Women's March about trans women of color and all that bullshit. She's not playing the part anymore. Not happening. Can't have it. Gotta have a trans person playing a trans person. When only trans people are gonna go watch it, I guess it's cool, but I don't fucking understand the outrage. You people are prejudiced against straight people. Isn't that what you cry about us? But the media's all in on this. Media praise male Miss Universe contest. I'm not reading this shit. I'm not reading it. But if she's Miss Universe, the Miss part's kind of important. That's just me. I'm just a normal guy. I'm a cis normative person. Sorry about that. But I don't think you can play, you can be a girl for Kapajan. There's a Mr. America. 
Go fucking hit a weight room, you fucking freak. Anyway, <laughs> I guess that was pretty bad. Um, which brings me to the most important part. Um, I'm going to skip the... There's another one. Transgender woman is all butthurt because she was asked for an ID card to use a restroom in a D.C. restaurant because they don't have straight up, you know, non-trans fucking bathrooms. They just don't have it. And she's like going fucking shit crazy over this stuff. Um, huge articles all over the place. And I just stare at it like, whoa. Um, no. Obama's not president anymore. Companies have the right to make the shitter male or female. Or do the dual symbol or whatever the fuck they want. That, that's their business. But my Starbucks in town, which is pretty fucking liberal. Yeah, they, um, they have male and female. So you might want to start protesting them motherfuckers. But it brings me to the most disturbing thing, and I could have done it in stats, but it's just disturbing for me. Only two-thirds of Generation Z identify as exclusively heterosexual. 66% of young people between 16 and 22 are exclusively heterosexual. The lowest figure of any generation. Once again, Saul Alinsky. It's not because they really believe this shit. They're being pushed and brainwashed into believing this shit, and it's another way to get attention. So these kids are all thinking, well, no, I might fuck a goat. Yeah. That'd be cool. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Which brings me to the next one. Left's insanity. Crisis at the border. Trans women hardest hit. That's actually an article. And let me read a little something like this. It's from Jezebel. Prachi Gupta switched the border crisis omatic special pleading dial to LGBT and fired it up. It seems that trans women are afraid to sneak across the U.S. border, and that's a bad thing. Gupta introduced her subject with a sentence whose length is matched only by its hysteria. As the Trump administration leans into its mission to find new horrific ways to terrorize immigrants, many LGBTQ migrants, particularly trans women fleeing violence in Central America, are faced with an impossible choice. Remain in the country where they face violence and abuse across the U.S., where they may be denied asylum and face additional violence. That is one sentence. I guess a Jezebel English is not something you really need to fucking worry about. What is next, folks? Later on in the article, they, they break this shit down. Half the women in detention were placed in solitary confinement, which is another form of abuse. Our immigration personnel are so benign, they haven't figured out a special treatment required for 0.4% of the people they encounter. It's down now. So as they're saying it's going up, and every stat I was giving you last year was 5.7 and 0.7%. New surveys are showing it at 4.5 and 0.7%. Yes, we need to worry about 0.4% of a population of people who have a fucking mental disability and they don't know what sex they are. That's what I need to worry about. Got it. When you get on the 0.03%, 0.003%, when you get on those motherfuckers who fought in these wars, Come back and talk to me. We're the real minority, you fucktwads. The college college. The desecrated American flag moved after campus reform reporting. 
The University of Kansas has moved a paint-splattered American flag from a prominent campus flagpole to a publicly funded art museum on the same campus after campus reform coverage of the art display. Chancellor Doug Gearroyd cited safety concerns in a statement explaining the move, but KU students and Navy veteran Ian Appling told campus reform that the excuse is just a smokescreen to deflect the blame. Safety. We disgraced the flag. Those people are crazy. good for you. You're in the wrong place, KU students. That's not where you fuck with the flag. Sorry. Go to fucking New York. They take shits on them. Go to Portland. They burn them and take shits. Portland, Oregon. Yeah, they burn and shit on flags. So it's all the rage. Student expelled after photo deemed discriminatory harassment. It was in Marquette. It shows a person running and people throwing rocks at them. It's stick figures. They called it harassment. I am still trying to figure out what's wrong with this picture. But yeah, yeah that, that, that's good. AAUP calls campus free speech bills a right-wing conspiracy. Yeah, I got that from Hillary. American Association of University Professors, which has chapters on more than 500 campuses, is calling on its members to fight against the legislation designed to protect free speech on college campuses. According to the AAUP, bills mandating penalties for infringing on free speech or forbidding the cancellation of controversial speakers are actually part of a right-wing effort to disempower public higher education. Yeah. No other views. It's not about free speech. It's about politics. They want to be able to have people come on the, come on the campus and brainwash people to right-wing. What's wrong with that? You brainwash them every day with left wing. I mean, come on. Portland State seeking professor with commitment to abortion rights. Portland State University is seeking a higher a woman's studies professor with a history of feminist activism on issues like reproductive justice. Although advocates of reproductive justice make clear that expanding access to abortion is a primary concern, Portland State insists that the new hire would not be required to support abortion rights. Yeah. Really. You're lying. We know you're lying. Shut the fuck up. Then there's Starbucks. Starbucks employee fired after mocking stuttering customer. I guess that whole sensitivity training, which was really anti-white, anti-police training, didn't work. Starbucks says an employee in Philadelphia has been fired after reportedly mocking a customer with a stutter. The coffee chain says the behavior does not reflect the experience customers should have. Have an employee is no longer with Starbucks. A person on Facebook posted Sunday that his friend stuttered when giving his name, that the barista made light of it verbally, and then spelled the name with extra letters. Yeah. I bet she was a liberal. Hypocrites. Liberal magazines funded far more than conservatives. It's graphically higher. Graphically. And most of the liberal magazines get non-profit donations. So, hmm. The world's fucked up. New young adult show on Netflix. A bundle of bad messages. Kiss Me First, which is new to American audience on Netflix, but originally premiered back in April in the UK. It's a bizarre story of young adults. If it's not appalling numbers of references to anal sex, it's the borderline encouragement of suicide or the overall idea that nothing matters because lunatics are in charge now. Overall, I have to wonder what the creators were thinking and what anyone was thinking, either here or abroad and choosing to air it. 
The premise of the show is an interesting one. Our protagonist is 17-year-old Leela Tallulah Haddon, who has just lost her mother to a terminal illness. We know how alone she is in the world by the fact that she is the only person at her mother's funeral, but she finds solace and kinship in the online gaming world of Azana. She quickly finds a hidden world with a game called Red Pill, a place where similarly lonely teens spend their time together. Virtually, if you're not familiar with the term Red Pill, it comes from the movie The Matrix. <clears throat> Take the red pill bullet. In recent years, it has come to mean people who have turned right wing or who espouse right wing beliefs. They are said to have red pilled. For some reason, this is frequently considered an insult, though I'm not sure why. Hey, that guy chose to see reality is supposed to be a bad thing. Turns out the members of the red pill and kiss me turns out turns are being manipulated by master puppeteer named Adrian Mathel Beard. I'm not going to read the rest of this, but it's a really shitty show. And I only brought it on the show because I just want to say, that's what's coming to you with the Obama-led Netflix. Gigi, my better half, wants to cancel Netflix um, over it because it's just getting worse. My feed every day has some transgender shit. Yet I've never watched a single transgender film. Hmm. Pope Francis orders white women to breed with Muslims. Just let that sit there. Probably got too much flack over saying bad things about abortion. Hmm. Jezebel, abortion rights are queer rights. It's about the rights to do what I want with this body. Our chat with Viva Ruiz, founder of Thank God for Abortion. Yeah. Thank God for Abortion. Yeah, that's good. The Daily Beast, the antagonist of Ant-Man and the Wasp, suffer from chronic pain. Instead of exploring a way for her to cope, the film simply conjures up magic cure and ableist tropes about disabilities. Oh, come on! Really? Yeah, that that's an article. Ableist tropes. Ant-Man and Wasp, a comic book movie, is horrible. Yeah. You people have fucking just lost it. High on Life YouTube vlogger is killed along with his friends and his girlfriend as they try to save her when she slipped and plunged from British Columbia's third tallest waterfall. YouTube star Reichel Gamble, 30, has died after falling from the cliff. Uh, plunged 100 feet over waterfall. He was with Alexi Androvi Lachi and Megan Scraper. We're also died in this, in this, in the, in the incident of Shannon Falls in British Columbia, Canada on Tuesday. Three were part of a YouTube channel, High on Life, Sunday Fun Days. The group hiked the falls, swam in a series of pools, and walked on the pool ledge. Scraper slipped and fell, causing the two boys to attempt to rescue her. The three fell into the water and got swept away by the current. Emergency rescue teams recovered their bodies Wednesday evening. And that's kind of fucked up, but it's not the most fucked up thing from Facebook this week. She posted a photo on Facebook moments before taking her own life. It took her family days to remove it. Gillian Lachinko, a 46-year-old client service manager in New Jersey, first found out her sister Pamela Arabi had killed herself on Facebook. Arabi posted a photo of herself on the social networking site as she prepared to take her own life. The photo appeared at the top of her Facebook feed on the evening of Friday, June 22nd, around 9 p.m. After making several cryptic text posts on her page throughout the day, Arabi posted an image where she appeared to be attempting suicide. The photo was public, so anyone looking at her Facebook page could also see it. And it took them days to get it ripped down, so she basically committed suicide on Facebook. Probably 
not good. What also is not good, senior editor at The Root calls conspiracy theory that 9-11 was an inside job most credible. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's, okay. And then this one. The founding fathers would fight climate change. Yeah. That's Think Progress. Whole article that I missed on uh, July 4th that basically they would have fought for climate change. That would have been in the Constitution. Okay. I could buy that. Probably not. Jet plunges 25,000 feet because pilot was vaping in the cockpit and caused decompression when he turned off the air conditioning in a bid to hide the smoke. Yeah. People had ear bleeds. They fell 35,000 feet, 10,000 feet, and 10 minutes. Oh, they, f- they descended from 35 to 10,000 and 10 feet. Ear bleeds the whole nine yards. We've been reading The Onion a lot lately on the show because they've been starting to jab back at how crazy the left is. Well, now Univision, which owns them, is going to cut their staff by 15%. They want to get rid of them. So you can see where Univision is. World's most cloned dog, Miracle Millie, has been copied 49 times by scientists in a bid to find the reason behind her record-breaking tiny size. That's kind of creepy. And then we end with Giant Iceberg is towering over small 108-person community in Greenland, terrifying its residents. Just Google it. It is pretty scary, man. It's a huge fucking mountain of ice coming out the town. There's people living on this little jetty and... They say if it calves, it'll take out their fucking houses. Of course, as you do the Googling, ignore the 70,000 climate change shit that comes up when you just want to see a picture of a gigantic fucking iceberg taking out a Greenland town. Which takes us to our wider fair. His kowtowing uh, to the president, effectively saying from the GOP tax scam for the rich that added up to children dollars or more. The president said he was going to move for negotiation. I'm going to no- negotiate. What was it? Neg- like crazy. Families across America are getting a raw deal from the Republicans. Democrats are proposing a better deal to use our leverage to free the prisoners arrested at Tiananmen Square instead of empowering the Russian, excuse me, the Chinese in this case, instead of empowering the Chinese to um, hurt our industries. It's 80 percent of our products going into China. It just is it's just wrong. But all of the behavior of the president this week as a continuation of his behavior before. begs the question that I have asked for 18 months. What do the Russians have on Donald Trump politically, financially, and personally? Protecting the Affordable Care Act and addressing some dangers that the court might present in that score. And again, uh, uh, strengthening. It's a build our infrastructure... That is the future speak of the House, if you ask the media and Democrats, because there's going to be a blue wave, and Trump's going to get wiped out, and everybody's going to get wiped out. No Republicans will ever be ever be elected anywhere, because that's what they say all the time. And she has some, she has worse speech problems than I do today, because I've had some serious problems, but she can't even recite countries right. 
She's just all sorts of fucked up. And I found that funny. I also found out, give a man advice in five words, a hashtag that was started by Uberlibs hating on men. They said, which me and my wife said, this is so millennial woman nowadays. Don't stop. She ain't done. Don't grab a pussy ever. Don't walk after handling chili. Don't wank after handling chilies. Women like getting head too. Slower, harder, deeper, longer, faster. Don't criticize a reproductive choice. But I'm not going to read those because there's thousands of them. I'm going to read the men. Treat all women as ladies. Yeah, that's a good one. Learn math. <laughs> Get it? Five words only to two. I thought it was funny. Cargo, sh- cargo shorts increase your virility. Trim that fucking beard, hippie. Change your own damn tires. Man buns are not manly. Read the damn instructions, idiot. That was from a woman, but it's what my wife says all the time. Never drink with two hands. Real men don't need advice. Karaoke won't get you laid. But my favor, favorite, don't accept five-word advice, which I thought was pretty poignant because whoever came up with that, I why would you go with five-word advice? Then there was a really funny one. Anton Rubachinki tweeted this. I live in constant fear that Trump will deport my Latina mother-in-law who lives at 1837 3rd Street, LA 90023, Blue House. She gets off work at 6. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. And then we're going to close with a new segment I'm going to do in our lighter fare. Try to lighten things up because it's been pretty serious. And I promise... Uh, Friday's podcast will be a little shorter and less serious. I got I got to just hit some of the Putin shit, and then I'm going to move on. We're going to learn how to curse in Korean. So here's our first installment in cursing in Korean. Let's learn how to say bitch or son of a bitch. Today I'm going to teach you how to say a son of bitch in Korean. A son of bitch in Korean is 개새끼. 개 means a dog and 새끼 means a baby. Listen to me carefully and repeat after me. 개새끼. 개새끼. Here is an example. You son of bitch. 개새끼야. You son of bitch. 개새끼야. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and like it. Thank you. Have a good day. We're going to start with Korean, move into Spanish. Who knows? Let's learn how to curse in other languages. It'll definitely spice up your life. Because i got to admit, I've been in a lot of places in the world, and all I remember is the curse words. So I want to share that with you as a public service. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. And send comments or suggestions by emailing foppodcast at gmail.com. Fop. 
podcastgmail.com. You can get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politics webpage at foppodcast.com, foppodcast.com, to see links to feeds for the show, links to your Facebook page, and to email us. There you'll also see links to every episode on the episode release page and my blog on the blog page. Our next podcast, as stated, will be Friday, 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 the 20th of July, Year of Our Lord, 2018. Until then, have an enjoyable week. I apologize for the break, but I'll get back on it and get more productive in my podcasting. Remember to shut off all your communication devices, computers, bullshit. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Spend time with your family because you're going to regret it. When all your little kids go away or somebody passes on, you're going to wish you weren't dicking around on Facebook and you'd actually listen to what they're saying. As always, thanks for listening, and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.